fellow humans, this is Brandon with episode 55 of Not A Robot Podcast's DC Comics Review Show, the world's greatest podcast about the world's greatest heroes. Rob is on vacation this week, but don't worry, I've still got one amazing co-host here with me, Josh. Hello, humans. Wonderful. This week, we will be covering Detective Comics 1041, Joker number 6, Infinite Frontier number four, Batman Urban Legends number six, Justice League Last Ride number four, and I Am Batman number zero. And of course, make sure you stick around until the end of each episode to hear our top three books of the week, The Biggest Stinker, and to find out which titles might just make... The Dump List. But before we get going with the show, I just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month, and thank you listeners too. Like, download, and share our episodes so we can get more listeners and can bring you more content. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot Podcast shows at notarobotpodcast.com. So with that out of the way, let's get into some news. Uh, with that, Josh, what's new with you this week, man? Oh, brother, not not a whole lot. Um mm. Waiting on some money to come in. I got a bunch of stuff to fix around my house. Mm. Oops. Forgot to mute my phone. Let me turn that down. (laughs) There we go. All right. Um, Yeah, as far as regular personal news, not a whole lot here. We've got a lot of comic book news. Uh, I I feel like this is Rob's favorite part of the show. I feel bad for him having to miss it. Yeah, bummer. We might have to do a little redux when he gets back next week. We very well might. Um, first, the the first thing before we get into the what I consider to the the two big huge comic book news pieces this week, um, they announced that Justice League Incarnate's going to have its own title. That is, yeah, pretty that cool, was. Man. I think they just announced that today, but um, I think that's so awesome. I mean, listeners have probably heard me drone on and on. Well, maybe not on and on, but. Listeners know that I'm a big fan of Grant Morrison, and and one of uh, their books that I love is The Multiversity, and um, one of the concepts of that book that I really loved was the the Justin Legion A, you know, the, uh, or not the Justice Legion A, that's DC One Million, the Justice Incarnate, um, who are like this multiversal team just kind of protecting things, and I remember hearing Josh Williamson talk about, you know, that team on a podcast, and it was kind of like, it always felt like there was a lot of potential, you know, for that team to kind of be this premier group within the DCU, but they never really did anything else with it besides, you know, the multiversity and occasional appearances here. So even if it's a limited series, um, I, I believe it's a five-issue miniseries, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. I think um, they said five, which seemed odd to me, but, you know, hey, whatever, I'll read it. Yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, even if it's a five-issue series, as long as it tells, you know, a cool, concise story, I think I'm definitely here for that. And um, for any of you Birthright fans, I I actually just started reading Birthright, um, which is a book by Joshua Williamson. You'll know that this is a bit of a reunion because on art duties is going to be Andre Bresson, who was the artist on all 50 issues of Birthright. So it's kind of a a fun little, yeah, it's a fun little reunion for the the Birthright team for a a really cool um, team in the DC universe. So I'm, I'm definitely interested to check it out. Seems like it's going to be dealing with a lot of the fallout from Infinite Frontier. So, um, seems like that, and that'll be yeah. that'll be interesting to read, man. For sure. Oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. Uh, DC news continuing. Hashtag DC DKOS. The mystery has been dropped. We now know what that is. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Dark Knights of Steel, which yeah. I actually saw somebody guess Dark Knight of Steel, <laughs> but I don't think that they had this plot in mind. No, they were probably guessing, you know, maybe another alternate universe take on what if uh, Superman was Batman. Yeah, that's, like that. that's what I was thinking of when I first saw Dark Knight of Steel. Yeah. But I, I saw a little clip from Tom Taylor. He said that he has been working on this creation for two years. Oh, yeah. I can uh, I can believe it. I mean, I, I will have to see a little bit more about, you know, the world and the story and everything. But I, I know for a fact that a lot of that world building stuff is just planning and sketching and designing and all that stuff. And it can take a hell of a lot of time. So I, yeah. I, when he says that, I totally believe it. Oh, me too. Me too. And to hear uh, in that interview that his two most favorite ways to be entertained are comics and high fantasy. <laughs> I mean, that's that's awesome, man. Those uh, are like two of my favorite things to be entertained. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, quoting, you know, saying that he grew up reading Lord of the Rings at the same time he was reading Superman. I can only imagine the stories that were rolling around in 15-year-old Tom Taylor's head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I that's why I think I was really excited because... Um, I feel like Tom, Tom Taylor and, and I share that kind of, I mean, I'm definitely super into sci-fi, but growing up, a lot of the books that I were reading were kind of, you know, the epic fantasy or, or boyhood fantasy or YA fantasy type of stories, you know, alongside my, my weekly dose of Spider-Man or Batman or whatever. So, right. um, to hear him say he was reading, you know, Lord of the Rings and Superman just kind of made me think of, you know, I, I would go home and read the... Aragon series or uh, oh, yeah. Rangers Apprentice or oh, Septimus Heap. One. Yeah, Septimus Heap. And then, you know, I would I would steal my brother's copies of whatever Spider-Man he got from his friend. And it is just like a, the perfect combination of imagination for a child. So I'm super stoked about this title. I don't know about you. I am. I'm looking forward to it. And yeah. I'll tell you, it's, it's not just because of Taylor, but it's uh, I believe Yasmin Putri is working on it with them. Yeah, yeah. And she's primarily known for her covers. I've seen her do one job on interiors with the Superman book, and it looked really good. So I'm, I'm interested to see. I hope, my hope is that um, she gets the opportunity to, to actually paint this instead of having a colorist. Because um, I think if she actually paints the colors, it'll look just oh, as beautiful nice. as her covers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Fingers crossed, anyways. The images that we have seen so far look pretty good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I, I joked on our, our Slack channel that um, if Tom Taylor does not make you know Dick Grayson like the squire of the night version of Batman in this universe, I will be so disappointed. Because yeah. they've literally been peddling that analogy for like decades now, and this is the perfect time to do it, so... Even I, I to fully, the British version, Knight and Squire. Yes, yeah, I mean, Knight and Squire. <laughs> so this is this is this is literally like the perfect time to have him be, you know, Squire Grayson or whatever. Right. We may end up with a Sir Grayson or something like that, though. Potentially, that that that'll probably be the uh, the Nightwing equivalent, where he he graduates from being a Squire and is now a Sir, but isn't just a Knight. He's his own Knight. He's a he's a Nightwing, if you will. There you go. Yeah. I like it. See, he should be writing stories, guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, My last big piece of news. Man, I don't know how to take this. On on one hand, the idea 
is absolutely amazing because it shows me that we're going to get amazing stories. Yeah. However, this could very well, as a business model, really impact the comic book uh, world. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's it's hard to say, but do you do you want to go ahead or? Uh... Yeah, we're talking about Substack with yeah. major creators like Scott Snyder, James Tynan the Fourth, Brubaker. I mean, woo! They're they're going to be releasing titles, articles, and comics as periodicals. Now, that's the part that I'm a little confused on. Are they telling us that it's going to be released like the like the old Sunday paper comic strips? We're just going to get a little bit at a time, maybe a page at a time. Do you have any idea about that? It sounds like, and I think a lot of this is still in the works, but it sounds like some artists slash writers are just going to kind of play around with the format. So, um, for example, with James's newsletter, James Time of Force newsletter, it sounds like it's going to give you access to pretty much the the full story if they're working issue by issue or... If, you know, it's uh, kind of like an original graphic novel type thing and it just releases all as one story instead of in chapters, you'll be able to get access to that. But I think the idea is the newsletter is, is basically like having a key and that key gives you access to any kind of extra content that James uh, can publish that, you know, they're interested in. But um, yeah, I think the uh, Josh kind of buried the lead a little here uh, in the story in that. Um, while a lot of creators are exploring the Substack thing, certainly the, the headline news was the fact that after issue 117 of Batman and issue number 14 of Joker, James Tyne IV will effective immediately be taking a break from DC Comics. I don't want to say leaving DC Comics because it sounds like th- there's always the potential a writer could come back to do you know smaller projects or whatever, but at least you know for the immediate time... Uh, he will not be working on any titles at DC um, outside of The Nice House on the Lake. Uh, Tynan was recently interviewed, and he gave a very short one, but it was about his venture with Substack. And apparently one of the first things that he's planning on releasing is the secret history of DC and 5G. Mm. And from the little tiny bit that I saw in the interview... He is very opinionated about it, not happy about it, and he's got a lot to say. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's it's certainly no secret, and I don't want to speak out of turn here, so anything that I say, I want to corroborate with uh, interviews or, or podcasts that I've heard from these writers in particular. But, you know, it's, it's no secret that certain writers around the time of the... Uh, planned 5G initiative were prepared to walk because they weren't happy with the direction that it was going. Uh, And in particular, they weren't happy that they were kind of being strung along for the direction without any kind of creative control, which is a a legitimate concern, I would say. And And one of um, his biggest gripes. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I think as a writer, the best thing to have, the best thing that you want to have is creative control. And so, you know, listening to Josh Williamson and Scott Snyder um, and James Tynan in particular, it sounds like around that time, you know, when it was planned to launch, most of these writers were going to walk. And uh, whether or not it was changed because of that or because 
the people in management at AT&T got cold feet and said, this is too much. We not only don't want to lose our writers, but we feel that this is way too big. And we just we don't want to alienate people or whatever the case may be. You know, clearly something led to its demise and restructuring and reformatting into what we have today. But um, I think I think having all of your biggest talent, I'm, I'm not going to attribute the word best, but all of your biggest talent saying, you know what, I'm out will definitely, definitely affect their, you know, their decision making as far as which direction the company wants to go. Certainly, I don't certainly. even think Warner Brothers, DC Comics, they're pretty ballsy, but I don't think they're that ballsy. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's always important to keep in mind that with a large publisher like this, large corporation, you know, there are always parent companies that you have to deal with. And mm-hmm. with that, there are going to be certain mandates and directives that you just have to follow. Uh, that's what happens when you are owned by someone. Um, Marvel certainly has a tune that they have to play with Disney. Uh, really, independent publishers are the only ones that don't have any kind of mandate because they are run by, you know, comic creators, and and um, there's no corporation uh, unless you know, knock on wood, uh, image gets sold to someone else. Although I don't think that's actually something they can do. I mean, unless they got bought out, but I don't, I don't even know how that would be possible. It's not like they're. I don't think they have like stocks or anything, at least not that I'm aware of to the point where you could have like a, a corporate takeover of image, but no, who knows? I don't believe so. I think it is a private company, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think it is. So in all likelihood, that really could never happen unless, you know, they get a, a classic uh, Godfather style offer that you just can't refuse. But um, yeah, it, you know, it's, I think this this latest news with Substack with creators like Scott Snyder and... John Hickman and James Tynan and uh, now Scotty Young and Chip Zdarsky and all Drew these Baker people. said he's going to. That kind of blew my mind. Did he? I, I didn't yeah. hear about that. I know he has a newsletter. I'm subscribed to it, but um, interesting. Yeah, no, uh, it, it's, it's, it really is. I, I know I literally just made this joke, but it really is a, a Godfather style deal of an offer you cannot refuse because you have to think about it from a creator's perspective. You are essentially being given money not to just produce, you know, books or whatever, but to literally do whatever you want, um, which is a amount of creative control that people dream of having. Right. Um, and not only that, you're getting paid to do it, which is is the is the joy of, of anyone. So, like I said, I, I really do not blame him for turning down the DC contract. I'm sure it was very lucrative. I'm sure it gave him a lot of freedom. But at the end of the day, between that and being able to, well, essentially build out your empire, um, Mm -hmm. you really have to think about it in the longer term of, do I want to create something that lasts, that is this larger mechanism for all my creator-owned works? Or, you know, do I just kind of want to work on Batman for the next three years and then once I'm done, someone else will take over and it'll be like nothing changed you, know, you want to build something that's meant to last and yeah i think I, I it boils down to it. being able to be creative or interpretive yeah so um no one can create batman mm. even if we bring in well like like jace fox we bring in jace fox as the new batman he's still going to be batman he's still rough he's still grim that's not gonna change yeah, and, and 
even more importantly, uh, it doesn't matter what new characters you bring in to be Batman, DC Comics still owns it. Exactly. So that's not something you can take away and publish somewhere else and make money off of that. No. You can't. 80 years later, you'll get a little caption on a comic book created by... Yeah, or you know, uh, maybe a little check if there's some kind of um, media adaptation of your work. But uh, in any case, that was definitely taking the comic book world by storm for I'd say the past couple days. And absolutely, um, you know, I have to ask as as a, a fan of comics, as a comic reader, um, you know, it, are are any of these newsletters, any of these programs, something that you think you'll be interested in? See now. I don't know. I'm very, very curious. I've never, I've never gotten, I've never read a Substack newsletter. I know they're mm. huge and popular and whatnot, but I've never gotten into that. So I suppose it would depend on the format because yeah. all of these guys are really, really good creators and their independent works are fucking phenomenal. So I'd have to, I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't give it a chance because I definitely will. I just don't know what the format is. Like, am I getting a book? Am I getting one page at a time? Am I getting a strip at a time? Because that's going to play a lot into it. Similar to where we have said multiple times about books, Rorschach, for example, wait to buy it until it's in a trade. I would hate to have something like that pushed out one strip or one page at a time. Yeah, it's it sounds like they're yeah, like I said, they're still trying to figure out some formats, but um yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested to to at least get more information as to how the um comic book content is going to be published, not just, you know, some of the other stuff. Um that, that that's doing. what I'm thinking about. Like yeah, how is but the, I, how are the comics going to be done? Because exactly. I'm not even sure that Scott Snyder is doing a book. He's not, I, and I I can actually I can tell you more about that because yeah, he's just doing classes right yeah he is doing a comic book writing 101 class that that i actually signed up for um and i will be too yeah the the reason <laughs> that i did is because i mean you know it worked for good one, for tynan yeah well <laughs> well for one it's it's um and and I, again i'm surprised that more people haven't noticed this but it is in my opinion an incredible deal because anyone who has ever studied for the SAT or had a tutor can tell you that um, charging someone a $7 monthly fee for an hour and a half's worth of content is almost a like insanely cheap deal. Like I've had, yeah, it is. you know, I've, I've had SAT tutors that charge 25 an hour or however much it is. And, and you're telling me that for 10 months, all I have to pay is what, 70 bucks, you know, for free right. or well, not for free, but for an hour and a half lessons from one of the best writers in comics. And um, even if you're someone who says, eh, well, you know, if, if you're, and, and I, I almost hate that I have to do this, but if you're someone who is more, I guess, cynical and is like, oh, well, he only writes comics, you know, whatever. How, how does he really know about writing, you know, anything else? Because um, it takes so much more than that to write yeah, a comic it, book. It, not only does it take more than that, but if you... Do a little bit more research on Scott Snyder. You'll know that uh, Scott has an MFA in creative writing from Columbia yeah, University. Exactly. So if I had to, if I had to <laughs> trust someone to be able to teach about creative writing in a professional capacity, it would probably be someone who has studied it and has a master's in it. Uh, exactly. I have a little bit more assurance. Um, not to mention that 
you know, he has taught so many other creators like James, you mentioned, but also mm-hmm. people like, you know, Matt Rosenberg, like Fida Ayala, like Matt, uh, I forget the other list, but a, a bunch of people that you definitely know that have written some pretty good stuff. So I would say his track record definitely holds. And um, Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. obviously not everyone is going to be a success story coming out of that class, but I know for me, at least, it's just a really good opportunity to learn. So it's all of that be is one a... hell of an experience. And oh, how absolutely. can you turn down what essentially, you know, oop, trademark infringement, but essentially mm. is a seven dollar a month masterclass? Pretty much for for just shy of a year. Like it's it it almost feels too good to be true, right? Um, I believe I could be I could be mistaken here, but my wife was because she's such a Neil Gaiman fan. I uh, believe. She looked into one of his classes, and it was like two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, no, one of my friends actually took the the Neil Gaiman Master Class, and it was, I, I, I don't know if it was two hundred, but I know it was definitely more expensive than seven dollars a month. Oh, that might have been it. Might have been like an annual course. I, I don't know, or like an annual fee. But even still, it was definitely more pricey than you know, basically paying yeah seventy dollars after ten months. So. Right. Um, that's one really good flavored coffee. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and again, that's, that's Neil Gaiman, who is an incredible writer in his own mind, but Absolutely. his own writing. And, um, <laughs> it's just him. <laughs> it's just him. He, he's the only one who thinks he's good. Um, no, I, so yeah, I just, I think like that kind of stuff, like, you know, maybe writing courses or, um, if you've looked into what Jonathan Hickman is doing, he's like building an entire universe and, it's mm-hmm. it's supposed to be really collaborative, not just with other creators like you know Al Ewing and Ramvi and Teeny Howard, but there's also going to be a fan input um, component, which I think is really cool because it kind of lets you bounce ideas back and forth that he will later adapt into the story. And so you I can saw kind of that. All, yeah, you can kind of feel like you are all working on this you know giant epic. Um, and I, I think I think that kind of stuff, that kind of playing around with the format, is really cool. So. Um, if that's what people are, are doing in the future, I think hopefully um, we'll we'll have some really cool stuff coming out of the Substack deal. Hopefully. I've heard yeah. loads of theories that Tom King changed issues just because of reactions on Twitter. So <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> you know, I would really I would really hate to see that same kind of a situation. But, you know, I mean, we're talking about somebody other than Tom King, not caught, not casting a whole bunch of hate, but, I mean, he's definitely his own guy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, and and like I said, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say, like, you should completely just not care what your fans are saying, but at this point, if you've been given that kind of creative control and a grant to do whatever you want, Honestly, it doesn't really matter how small the number of people who are screaming in your ear that this is potentially a bad thing is. Like, you should just do what you want to do. I, exactly. I wouldn't even care. Because this is, like I said, this is anyone's dream. And, you know, who cares if someone's trying to raid on your parade? Um, that doesn't mean it's without its flaws. There are certainly some things to address. But in terms of the creative aspect, I think it's really good. Or I think it's really interesting. I shouldn't say good before everything is launched yet. Yeah, right. The the idea is really good. Yes, the idea is it, yeah is really good. Um, and I mean, just the you know. off the wall stuff that's out there. Something is killed in the children. Department of Truth. Baby, t- did I just list all Tynan titles? Uh, well, with the exception of Baby Teeth, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, um, and 
you know, it's funny that you should mention baby teeth because, I mean, I have no clue um, whether or not he's got this in the works, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, uh, Mr. Cates pull a move like that because one of the questions that I asked him while I was at Terrificon was just, you know, it was actually about the Scott Snyder deal at Comixology and it was basically saying like, is, you know, is that something as a creator with a lot of titles out there, is that some that you might think is uh, approachable, something you might want to do. And um, he d- could not give any specifics, of course, but it seemed like he mentioned something that might be related to exploring a new format. So whether or not he goes with Substack or some other kind of deal, who knows? But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was to uh, to have something coming up uh, in the works. Yeah, man, there there is nothing that compares and anybody that likes bookstores can tell you this too but there's nothing that compares to cracking open a brand new comic book and getting that that whiff Mm. you know the smell of that book i just i love it man but at the same time just like mail we have to we have to move on with the times you know what i'm saying um we have to creators have to distributors have to look at the way that things are going and yet there are still a plethora of people buying print there's still a plethora of people who can't stand reading digital but more and more are Mm. if you want to stay in the game and you want to stay being a popular creator because let's face it that's the only thing that keeps these people's bellies full is you've got to roll with the times yeah, or at least, I, I think Scott Snyder and Donny Cates definitely see that ahead of them. Yeah, you you have to. Yeah, you really have to know how to pivot. Um, and I think the past <laughs> year, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think the past year living, you know, in the pandemic is is a perfect example of knowing exactly when to pivot. Um, because yep. the fact that there was a essentially a two to three month period where nothing was coming out, where nothing could come out is shocking and is a a clear sign that some things need to pivot and you're obviously going to have some people that are saying oh you know we want to make sure that we still get print to people who want them and and they absolutely should i mean i most of the comics i own are are in print um but the fact that something like that could just take out an entire industry for two to three months is insane and you really have to find a way to basically get past that yeah be able to survive around that yeah because i mean you know god forbid something like that should happen again in a different situation you don't want to look back and be like oh crap what do we do we're in the same place again like you really have to know how to pivot so um yeah i think it's it's good to at least keep that in mind and and really try and evolve with the times and, and not just you know trying to do the same thing but always kind of challenging what can be done with the medium. That's, I think, the coolest thing uh, yeah. that that this medium has is that you can constantly change what is possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who would have ever guessed that they would have, that they would have fired Diamond? I mean... No, no, I, <laughs> n- never, never. I mean... Uh, never and, in a million years. I mean, so many LCSs, inventory systems and ordering systems and everything was all tied up with Diamond. Mm-hmm. Everything went to hell. You never know yeah. what's going to happen. You need a backup plan. Oh, yeah. Books. And, you know, I don't blame DC, and I, and I certainly don't blame Marvel either for kind of ditching Diamond and saying, look, like, that was that was terrible. The fact that we had 
months where we could just not generate any kind of revenue, you know, on our publishing side. We need to find a better system that allows us to sell books regardless of what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't blame Marvel from going to Penguin Random House, and I don't blame DC for choosing new distributors. Obviously, it's an adjustment for retailers. I have that in mind, and certainly it was a little rough for some, but, you know, I mean, I, I am pretty good friends with a guy at my LCS, and even if it was certainly an adjustment getting books, you know, at the first place, I mean, he seems to be doing fine, and, you know, I, when I yep. was there in... July and they were selling Dark Knight's Metal. It was selling out and, you know, everyone was talking about how well it was doing. So clearly it didn't stop people from buying it is what I'm saying. Right. You know, and and, and it wouldn't. People are people who want to read comics are going to read comics. It's just yeah. a matter of, you know, making sure that it gets to them because if it does, they're going to buy it. Well, mm-hmm. you know, at least most of them. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we will see people start, you know, graduating towards where we do need it to be, having those backup things in place. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Scott Snyder himself was the one that said, uh, you know, I, I, you, the whole thing about being a comic book creator is not just being able to create comics. You've also got to be malleable and you have to stay relevant and you yeah. need to be able to 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 have the avenues to do that which is apparently his motivation behind the comicsology deal and yeah. i honestly can't say that i blame him for that at all not even remotely and i mean i'm i'm glad you said relevancy because the moment i heard you know the substack news of all these people coming out i i just i thought about it a lot and you know when i when i have something that's really burning on my mind i'll write it down and i came up with this short little I guess, paragraph. And, and basically what I said was companies are seeing for the first time, not just the value in the actual work being produced, but within the creators themselves. Creators have yes. become the object which they can use to sell the product itself. It's no longer just creators selling their names, but publishers stepping in to market their names while simultaneously giving the writer the freedom to produce whatever they want. Um I, I just I don't know it, like that idea was just burning my head so I had to put it down to paper um it, and you couldn't be wrong you yeah it's, be it's more right it's literally that I mean and it's it's funny I was actually talking to my dad about this but in in a lot of ways it it's almost like comics have kind of caught up with the rest of how a lot of things are marketed because when you buy a pair of I don't know let's say Nike's or whatever you're probably buying it because a you need new shoes but B, probably the more important reason, because someone you know has marketed and promoted those shoes, and you say, well, if they buy those shoes, I guess I'll buy them too. Or Jordans, shit, man. Even... I mean, the guy hasn't played in forever, and people still will... I mean, people people will do anything and pay any price to get their hands on some Air Jordans. Yeah, exactly. And even, yeah, even movies will advertise big-name star over you know, what the actual movie is about yeah. um, just, just to bring people in. So in a lot of ways, it's, I think it's, it definitely has its pros and cons, but I do think it is nice that companies can at least see the value in the creator and not just see them as expendable, which is nice. Because yeah. it's, 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 it's the closest thing I think the comics industry can get to respect where you actually <laughs> see the these... Truth. Yeah. Where you, well, yeah, I mean, you can actually see these people as... 
um, I hate to call them valuable because it makes them sound like property, but I mean, essentially that's what they are. You know, you sell yourself as, you know, I'm Scott Snyder. I am the writer of this, this, and this. I did Court of Owls and Black Mirror and Death Metal and Dark Knight's Metal and all these other books and witches and like that is my brand, you know, and I bring that with me and I use that to sell anything else that I want to in the future. I want a sequel to Witches so bad. Oh, yeah, we all do. We all do, man. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it would be the case for any writer. You know, if you, let's say, Josh, you were to have a spectacular run on uh, Superman and you were kind of well-known for bringing a new and creative energy and then went off to create a book about pirates or something, I don't know, um, you would market yourself as you know, I'm the guy that did all this stuff with Superman. Come watch me fly over right. at Image or Dark Horse or wherever. It's it's really no different than that. Yep. He's like, if you liked what I did with editorial oversight, mm-hmm. come and see what I do with just a spell checker. <laughs> that's that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly it. So yeah, it's blow, uh, man. It's exciting. It's a very exciting time to be a it's comic a very book exciting fan. time. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of change. Yes, and I think that. That may seem scary to some people who are just used to the, the way things have been. But I, I think it's, I don't know, for me at least, it's, it's definitely kind of cool to embrace a lot of the new stuff that's coming out. Because it's just really interesting to see how much comics have evolved, especially over the past decade. Um, and I think it's, it's just really nice to see. But uh, anyway, maybe I we should talk about some actual comics. <laughs> Perhaps we should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Before we start um, actually getting into our regular books for this week, I did want to give at least a brief shout out, an honorable mention to uh, Hardware Season oh, yes. 1, number 1, oh, which came out this week from Milestone. Uh, it was written by Brandon Thomas with art from Bill Sienkiewicz, no, art from Dennis Cowan with inks by Bill Sienkiewicz, the Dream Team, um, and was colored by, sorry, I just... Didn't write that down. Uh, colored by Chris Sotomayor <laughs> with letters from Rob Lee. I won't go into a full description of the story. Basically, all you need to know is so good. hardware. Yeah, hardware is on the run, and he's going up against the guy who used to employ him, Edwin Alva. There you go. There's the very basic description. Um, but I wanted to at least give it an honorable mention. It was so so good. Um, honestly, even though I'm a big fan of Static. Yeah, me too. I'm about. I'm the same way you're about to say, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I just I have a huge soft spot for. I think hardware is is a really interesting character and can be applied to interesting situations. And it always surprised me he was never on the Justice League because I feel like he would be perfect for that, just as a strategist and you know technology guy. But um, I, yeah, I, it was. I just, felt the same way about Icon and Rocket. I felt like Icon should have been on the Justice League too, man. Yeah, I just I think it'd be really interesting to explore, um, but. It was just a really great debut issue, um, and Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz are in full form. It just looked absolutely gorgeous. Um, There's a a page in particular where it's just a a focus on hardware's face, and it's just Mm -hmm. so well drawn. Um, So, yeah, this is a book definitely worthy of your time. Pick it up, I would say. Um, And, you know, these these milestone books... I just combined Milestone and Wildstorm for a second. <laughs> Nothing wrong uh, with that. These that would be an interesting crossover. It would, wouldn't it? Um, these Milestone books are really good, and they're, like I said, definitely worth your time, and Hardware 
was absolutely excellent. So please check it out. Yep, we raved, or I, I think the last time I was the one that gave the special mention to uh, uh, Static. And yeah. honestly, I, I, I love Static, man. But I think this first issue of Hardware was better than the first issue of Static. Yeah, I, I enjoyed I that. Loved this it. first issue. It was so good. Um, I, I actually had to read it again because I was just so impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just absolutely great. But with that in mind, let's get into our books for this week. Officially, we're done rambling. We will get into the content that you want to hear. So to kick <laughs> us off, we will be looking at Detective Comics 1041, featuring a main story as well as a backup. And taking care of our main story will be Josh. So go ahead, man. And that's me. Written by Mariko Tamaki with our inside and out from Dan Mora and Jordi Belair with Aditya Bidikar on lettering. This issue starts out with Nakano in a meeting about the parasite and Mr. Worth. He wants something done about the parasite and he wants to, and, and he wants something explained about why Worth isn't in jail. He still knows nothing about Vile or the fact that Vile is the parasite, and when he asks about Bruce Wayne, he finds out that he was also released, but his apartment was set on fire, with Worth looking like the perpetrator. Mm. So with his house set on fire, Bruce lost that microcave, and access to all of the sewers after Worth blew them up. There's all kinds of workers down there trying to fix things, as you would expect there to be. I like that part. That's huge for me. Because we're not just... If something did happen in the sewers, if there was an explosion, there would be workers down there. And I feel like, like you mentioned, 10 years ago, we uh, over the past 10 years, we've had such a revolution in comics. I feel like 10 years ago, that part, that little detail would have been completely ignored. So I love that part. Mm. Um in any case, he calls Oracle for help with supplies, and she points him in the direction of a hidden supply down at the docks. She also tells him that Worth and a whole swath of Gotham villains are teaming up to kill both Bruce Wayne and the Batman. Mm. On a billboard, he sees it written, Batman, deliver Bruce Wayne, and it's signed, The Jury. So Oracle tracks Worth to one of the warehouses, and that is where Batman finds the jury in all its splendid glory. I'm just kidding. None of these people are splendid. (laughs) While he's working on surviving and taking out the baddies, he happens to get shot with the green bullet. In between pages, we saw Vile being experimented on, and they took tongs and pulled his tongue out and extracted green stuff from his tongue. That's why Huntress knew that Batman was infected. She Mm -hmm. could see it, and indeed he is. So, oh crap. (laughs) Uh, I thought this was awesome, man. I I continue to be really pulled in. I am digging Detective Comics so very much. And to be honest, man, even if the writing wasn't as good as it is, if it was a little less, with Dan Mora doing such an amazing job, I would still oh. be giving this issue an 8.5 out of 10. It's amazing. I mean, literally, I could just show someone that splash page of Dan Mora once again doing the classic 
yellow oval, blue and gray bat suit, and it would be enough to get anyone to buy this issue. Yep, they even uh, the penguin even mentions it that he's wearing yeah. the the old uh, showing up in the blue. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat, man. Oh yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, now this was a really I think solid installment. Definitely, I don't know. I think this is was was a little slower than the first arc. It's still trying to kind of figure out this bigger story with the jury. Um, and I, I, I worry a little bit because I don't know if they're going to wrap this up in the next issue, wrap this arc up in the next issue, or it's going to continue um, through Fear State because, you know, 43 and 44, I believe, are going to be tie-ins to Fear State. So... I'm I'm a little unclear as to how they're actually going to try and progress the story uh, moving forward, but at least in terms of this issue, you know, it's a little slower um, and uh, not quite as much development. At least I didn't get that sense, um, but still a pretty solid issue all around. So I ended up giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. Excellent book, man. Excellent book. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess we'll find out. We'll see. Uh, but... Continuing on in Gotham for just a little bit, we have our backup story, Countdown to Task Force Z, which was brought to us by Matthew Rosenberg, by art from Derek Robertson, colors from Diego Rodriguez, and letters from Rob Lee. Uh, On a Gotham subway, Deb Donovan is stalking, I mean following, uh, a man (laughs) by the name of Mr. Goodfellow, who is acting as the president of the Gotham Transit Authority. She's kind of grilling him about his negligence over the trains and uh, basically trying to charge more for the trains and everything. And Deb's giving him crap. And, of course, the president is feeding him the usual line about Gotham, that it's a total crap hole and nobody cares about it. Deb feels disillusioned and frustrated over the fact that not only is she not getting extra leads for her story, but that the train has also stopped. But it seems to be a little bit serendipitous as she discovers a note in her pocket, a mysterious note which directs her to the Gotham City morgue. She goes there and investigates some of the bodies, but finds that one body in particular is missing, Astrid Arkham, the Arkham Knight in particular. After leaving the morgue and grabbing a smoke in an alley, she's confronted by a shadowy figure with a gun who informs her that she is sort of making ripples through her investigation of the dead bodies of Arkham. But thankfully, she is saved by the quick intervention of a mysterious Dark Knight who informs her to drop the Arkham case and move on with her life. So her natural response is, of course, to get sloshed with Vicky Vale at some random <laughs> dive bar. As you would... As one would want to do. As would one would want to do after being saved by Batman, where she informs Vicky that she will be pursuing the story. Vicky, in particular, warns her that it might not be quite as safe, especially after Batman intervened, and Deb clearly does not give a crap. After returning home completely drunk as a skunk, she finds someone quite mysterious and quite strange in her room, noshing on some cereal, none other than the mysterious and mischievous Red Hood who informs her that she did, in fact, receive his note. Uh, this was a really fun backup, I would say. Really solid. Um, I, I definitely had a lot of fun with it. And uh, it's, I mean... I, I was worried. Yeah, it's it's always cool. Well, I was excited because, I mean, it's always cool to see Derek Robertson drawing anything. Right. Um, so I was excited for that, at least. But I wasn't really sure how much uh, a intro to Task Force Z was going to work. 
you know, just as a backup story, but it was really cool. Um, and I, ha I have to ask, during the train sequence, Josh, uh, I, I have to ask, did you happen to notice Jason in the background? No, I didn't. I did. So I didn't, I didn't see this until actually I, um, I, I kind of went back and, and was just kind of rereading it to do my summary. And I noticed because I was like, well, you know, if someone slipped a note into Deb's pocket... What if, what if they were in the background? What if that was like a fun little Easter egg? I just kind of just thought that might be interesting to see. And if you look on the first two pages, there is a guy in a red hood that's kind of hanging out in the background. And he's in like four or five panels in particular. And if you see in one of them, it kind of looks like he's right behind Deb, which is when I think he slips her the note. But if you look closely, there's just like this random guy in a red hood and like a brown jacket on the subway train. And I was like, oh my God, I think that's Jason. Now I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's him. I feel, I feel like, I feel like having a pull it up right now. Cause yeah, I feel like having a, a guy with a red hood in the background. Who's like behind Deb is just too good to not be Jason. Oh goodness. Um, I gotta see this before we move on, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, there he is. Yep. Yep. He, he's in one, two, three panels. Yeah. On the first page and then four or uh, five panels. Yeah. Hell yeah, he is. Yeah, two panels in the back. I think, again, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure having some guy in the background with the red hood who's kind of like shadowy. Is, is too good to not actually be Jason. Yeah, see, I thought, I assumed that it was, um, what's his name, Eldon Goodfellow? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's who I assumed it was, but only because I didn't see Jason there. Yeah. That is pretty cool, dude. Yeah, no, it was, it was just a really fun little Easter egg, and I wonder how many people actually spotted it, because you can definitely miss it on your first read. But I sure as hell did. <laughs> yeah, no, this was this was really cool, and and um, dare I say, I think I actually enjoyed it a little more than the main story. Um, it was just a, a fun little peek into Deb looking into a mystery and uh, a hell of a cliffhanger with Jason sitting in her kitchen eating some cereal. Um, and I, I saw like some jokes on like a Reddit post or something that was just like, if you saw Red Hood in your kitchen after you came back from a night of drinking, what would you do? Oh, I was God. like, I have no idea. Right? I think I might freak out at first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't think you'd have a choice. Yeah, I, I might freak out at first, and then you know maybe I'll pull up a chair or something, get some cereal too. But um, yeah, like I said, it was a really cool chapter, and I definitely dug it. So I actually gave this one an eight point five out of ten. Hell yeah! Can't blame you. The whole book, man, it just continues to knock it out of the park. Now I understand why we had a Dub Donovan backup before when that that actually i was confused as hell when mm. we had the you know why it's like why are they giving us a dub donovan backup well yeah. it's because she's gonna be pretty important coming up. yeah so i mean can't blame them for that one i think the mm. whole damn thing is just fantastic man i gave mm. the backup um well, where did I put it? Oh, 8.25 out of 10. And with the whole book, it 
It continues to be one of my favorite titles at DC. I love, love, love it. So 8.5 out of 10 for the whole one. Mm. Nice. All Did right. Did you give well, a whole book score? Oh, uh, yeah. I well, I, yeah, gave the main story a 7.75, and I gave the backup an 8.5. I think that is like close to an 8 out of 10, but I'm feeling nice today, so I'm going to give it an 8.25. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, very nice of you. all right moving right along to our next book which also features a main story and a backup we have joker number six and in the same order josh will be bringing us our main story and i will be bringing the backup so josh take it away my friend absolutely i'm still shocked that we even got a joker book to be honest with you but here we are definitely is weird it definitely is weird it is written by James Tynan IV with art from Gillam March, colors from Arif Prianto, Tom Napolitano on letters with March and Prianto on that cover. And we start this out with a flashback to 50 years ago. A young girl is scared out of her mind because her and her friends, who didn't make it out, were trapped by this weird Sawyer cannibalistic family. Their last name is Sawyer. She ran, and they shot after her. Uh, they thought they might have winged her because they see blood, but then it's black with a huge pool of it coming out of the ground, and they say that it's oil. Or I mm-hmm. believe they call it Texas tea, but if you've ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies, you know that's oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some people out there watching or listening, excuse me, probably don't even know who the Beverly Hillbillies are. Yeah, that's, that's an old one. <laughs> that's an old one. But anyway, now back to the present day, still in Hooper County, Texas, with the Sawyers. Uh, or is it Samson's? It might be the Samson's. I think it's Samson's. Mm. Anyway, um, from the oil, they are all now millionaires. And for some reason, the young girl recanted her statement and blamed it all on the youngest cannibal of the family, Billy the Brute, who gets sent to Arkham. Yeah, and all I have to say about Billy the Brute is I can clearly tell that Jace, not Jason, that James, Tynan IV, had either recently or at some point in the past watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre because all I could think about was Leatherface. Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think in his newsletter he even said that this was the, that that was the motivation for it. Yeah. But uh, uh, working, or... Well, goodness, I forgot where I was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the Joker has disfigured a family member's face. Somebody named Buddy. Uh, Sawyer, that's where I got that name from, he seems to be the head of the family now, and he wants him found, him being the Joker. Also, they've made a mask for Buddy, like Billy the Brute War, but this one is, well, it looks very super villainy. Mm-hmm. So... Next, we are in Paris with Jim Gordon, reminiscing about the early days with his wife before talking about the events that we're all reading this for. The Oracle tracked Joker to Paris, and after Jim freed himself from the chair he was tied to, Jim followed him, but the trail is cold now. Working with Oracle, he's aware of the developments in Santa Prisco with the female Bane and the Sampsons, who seem to have covered up everything to do with the murders and Billy the Brute. As Jim goes out to a payphone and calls Harvey Bullock to hire him to do lead work in Gotham, 
He is surrounded by Interpol, who is there to arrest him because his prints are found all over a multiple murder scene. He says the Joker planted them there. The lady that is there agrees, and I believe it looks as though she's in charge, but he's taken into custody anyway. On top of a nearby building, we see the Joker smiling down on Jim's arrest. So the story is definitely picked back up from the last issue, because I mm-hmm. didn't really enjoy that one at all. I feel no. like this one could have been a few pages shorter by tightening up that inner dialogue of Jim Gordon. Speaking of yeah. which, why doesn't this book bear his name for the title? It's his story. Joker just seems to be a bit player. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I think it's definitely more about the Joker's kind of presence, um, which I think is an interesting approach. It's It's probably the most interesting way you could do a joker book without it kind of getting you know one note really serial old. killer story um yeah. but yeah no this is definitely and james has certainly made it no secret but this, yeah this is definitely like a, a a jim gordon book essentially which yeah i i can't complain about that in all honesty no no not really because <laughs> I, I i know i definitely had no interest in reading a a a book solely about the joker going crazy or whatever no, now if there was, I, you know, honestly, I would love to see like a three issue mini because I don't think they could stretch that out to six. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to see a three issue mini exploring Joker trying to redeem himself via super uh, with his super sanity as uh, that getting explained and all of that shit. I think that would be a really cool story, mm-hmm. but not with the whole split personality shit that they did in the White Knight. But in any case, um, as far as this issue goes, I enjoyed most of the art, and the story is there. It's just a little less that I want, and it's a little bit dialogue-heavy. Inner monologue-heavy. Yeah. And because of that, I give it a 7 out of 10. That inner monologue stuff, man, that, that grates on my nerves a little bit when it's that unnecessary. It can definitely drag, and I, and I definitely hear what you're saying. I actually, I, I gave this one a 7.5, um, not because I thought the story was bad, but it, it definitely um, felt like it was really slowing down. You know, we got some progression. Jim's in Paris now. He's asking questions, and, and there was a fun little nod to uh, the... Uh, Grant Morrison run on Batman with Lupa Sue and the Club of Hero or Club of Villains, not Club of Heroes. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. There were points where it kind of felt like um, Jim's inner monologue was really just kind of there, and it didn't really add anything. You know, it was just kind of very fillery. Yeah, um, like and, there was no reason for that whole reminiscing with his wife thing. We could even, you know, to include it, that could have been done in one panel. Yeah, and I mean, in all honesty, I think, you know, after Jim returns to the hotel, you could have had this really kind of somber moment where he's just packing and unpacking in, in silence, you know, instead of yep. just having him drone on and on about, you know, his time in Gotham and the black tie dinners and whatever. I feel like that would have been way more impactful. Yes, yeah, me too. So, um, yeah, I still really like the art from Guillaume March. That's just absolutely gorgeous, and um, he certainly draws one hell of a of an oracle and a jim gordon but yeah no i definitely hear what you mean it was just a little i don't know a, a little off this issue so yep a little yeah. less a little bit too less and a little bit too much at the same yeah. time as much as mm-hmm. that makes sense but hey yeah. it is a joker book 
Yeah, that's uh, sometimes that's just how it is. But in any case, moving on to our backup story, we'll be checking in on Miss Punchline and Bluebird in Punchline Chapter Six from Sam Johns and Tom, Sam Johns and James Tyne the Fourth, with art and colors from Sweeney Boo, letters from Ariana Mar, and that, that's I don't know why I. I Made it sound like there was more for some reason. I think I was, <laughs> I think I was waiting for another colorist or something. But I realized that she did the colors too. But in any case, uh, this summary is pretty short because, in all honesty, not a lot happened in this backup. Um, Harper Rowe is going undercover in jail as a new inmate, hoping to get more information on Punchline. She initially plans out a well, plan of attack to get close to Punchline, only to have it immediately disrupted when Alexis K invites her to have, well, lunch with her. Harper and Alexis <laughs> trade words for a little bit before Alexis drops her card and reveals that she knows exactly who she is and that Harper Rowe is not fooling anyone. She continues to goad Harper just a little bit more, hoping to provoke her into a fight. Until eventually she does by mentioning Cullen in particular when Harper strikes her with her lunch tray and immediately gets on her. But it appears that that was Punchline's plan all along, not only to send Harper running as she immediately bolts after the fight, but to also make sure that she got the fight on camera in the hopes of using it in some ulterior motive. Now, Mm -hmm. what ulterior motive is that? Well, we find out in the Next page, as Cullen and his boyfriend Bluff are watching movies or whatever on the couch, and Bluff shows him a video in particular of Punchline getting the snot kicked out of her. Clearly, this was an attempt to make Punchline look vulnerable and sympathetic in the eyes of the people of Gotham, and Mm -hmm. in particular, it's the fact that Punchline is innocent and everyone else is bad. And that's pretty much our story for this week. Uh, It is solid. It is certainly decently written, you know, it's engaging, but I gotta be honest, there's not a ton of story there. It was really just, Harper's in jail, she meets Punchline, she goes on the run, they get video, that's it. You know, and it feels mean to say that, because I know it's a backup, so you can't really do a ton. And I love the art from Sweeney Boo, it's really great, but again, in terms of story, it's just not a lot of substance there. So I had to give this one also a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Well... Um, I enjoyed it, man. I mm. thought it was, I thought it was pretty character building to watch Harper just walk right into everything and not see a damn thing coming, which is really different from most members of the Bat family. Mm. And seeing exactly how much of a mastermind punchline is and how powerful she is within that prison it really showed what happened you know how things are when she got punched in the face with that lunch tray mm-hmm. and with sweeney boo's art man jesus yeah, i mean great. it should it should be playing baseball consistently knocking it out of the park <laughs> man i'm telling you now for me i'm still interested and i don't plan on putting this down anytime soon i gave it an eight out of ten man Nice, nice. Yeah, no, I, I like the, um, I, I do I do like what you said, that, you know, Harper is someone who's kind of different from the Bat family. She's a little more impulsive, um, maybe a, a little bit more even than Jason. She kind of rushes into it. And we certainly saw that when she tried to confront Aiden and uh, basically got all the evidence burned. But and, and Punchline even kind of like chides her about that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just... 
execution or whatever, but I, it didn't completely land for me. But I do like that idea is, you know, of Harper kind of having this calculating foe who's like worked with the Joker and everything and is thinking like 10 steps ahead and mm-hmm. she's just kind of rushing it into stuff and she's almost like not even prepared for it. I think that's a really cool idea. I I couldn't agree with you more, man. I think mm-hmm. it was great. As far as the whole issue goes, man, uh, I'm giving it an, a 7.5, a straight average. Uh, Joker could have been more, and Punchline was, as far as I was concerned. So, 7.5 mm-hmm. out of 10. Fair enough. Yeah, no, mine, given that both stories are at a 7.5, mine averages out to a 7.5. You know, it's just kind of a, a, I mean, not a bad issue by any means, just kind of a, a middle-of-the-road issue for me, uh, and it wasn't wasn't quite as good as ones in the past so you know hopefully there's a, a some improvement in the horizon but or on the horizon but in any case we'll move on to our next book before taking a brief commercial break and that is infinite frontier and number four we are quickly approaching the end of infinite frontier so buckle up guys it's yet another infinite frontier check-in uh this issue as usual was brought to us by was brought in, was brought to us by <laughs> Joshua Williamson with art from Paul Pelletier, Jesus Marino, and Zermanico, inks from Norm Rapend, Ratmond, Raul Fernandez, and Zermanico, and colors from Hi-Fi. So as per usual, we will be doing an Infinite Frontier check-in with all the various heroes across the DC Universe as they deal with the many mysteries and problems that are currently arising. So on Earth-23... Flashpoint Batman and Superman are doing a, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, detective work, I guess would be the best way to describe it, as they are trying to find Lex Luthor, or specifically Earth-23's version of Lex Luthor, as he had discovered a way to traverse the multiverse using a transmatter symphonic array. Uh, but in particular, they are trying to track down the specific locations that he might be at. They narrow it down to about 10 locations, but President Superman is able to narrow it down to one specific location. So Cal and Thomas Wayne decide to storm in on Lex Luthor and find that they are just a little bit too late as Lex Luthor has been gouged inside and out and uh, his plans in particular have been stolen and used in all likelihood uh, to build the arcs that we have seen in the DEO. And speaking of the DEO, <clears throat> we check in with Director Bones and uh, we check in with Director Bones and Cameron Chase uh, as we find out that. Wait, hang on. That doesn't make any sense. Is it? Ah, there we go. Okay. We check in with Cameron Chase and Director Bones as we find out that Cameron Chase was able to survive the Captain Atom explosion due to the quick and uh, immediate intervention of Extract, the mysterious woman who has been working with the DEO all this time. Meanwhile, they're trying to get some information out of Adam Scott and Obsidian uh, in the hopes of trying to figure out what they were doing and. Uh, in the DEO headquarters at Command D, but before that, they are moving Adam Scott and Obsidian into the, I guess, next version of the arcs that they have been building to transport to a mysterious, unknown location. Of course, 
In this issue, we actually find out where that location is, and it is none other than the Elseworld. Uh, the mysterious new world that has appeared post-Death Metal. Uh, that uh, is that called Omega World or something like that? Worlds? I think it's yeah. Omega World. Yeah. Might be Omega. Earth Omega. But Earth I think Omega, they, yeah. yeah I, Man, I we should have saw the dark side thing coming. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that should have that been... Uh... Bright and shiny for Excuse us me. to see. Whoops. Yeah, it should have <laughs> been obvious for us to see. But in particular... Um, they take Adam Scott and Obsidian <clears throat> to Earth Omega or the Else World, uh, but only to immediately crash into uh, our friends in Infinity Inc. Now, how did they end up getting there? Well, after taking the ship over from uh, the reborn version of Hector Hammond, Roy and Infinity Inc., after briefly sparring for a bit, are able to reconnect, and uh, in particular, Infinity Inc. is able to inform them how they were actually captured in the first place by the mysterious woman named Extract, who had used some kind of technology to transport them onto the ship. Uh, but as I said, they were able to gain some kind of control over it and take it to its original location, which, as we know, was meant to be Earth Omega is there in particular that we also check in with Barry Allen, who is still being forced to run by the Psycho Pirate. Uh, not sure how exactly or, or what exactly that's all leading towards, but it seems like we'll be getting some answers soon. Uh, of course, so. assuming our heroes survive. Uh, meanwhile, at the House of Heroes, President Superman and Flashpoint Batman check in, only to find that someone in particular has been hiding messages from them, encrypted messages. One from Barry Allen himself, who is reporting in from the multiverse. After Thomas Wayne does some brief, I guess, looking in on the many versions of his son, Justice Incarnate is briefly dispatched and taken out by none other than Machine Head, who in a strange and very odd twist of fate reveals himself to be working with a different group in the hopes of stopping multiversal travel altogether. And that particular group is dedicated to one thing, working together to sacrifice to correct injustice. That's right. I think we're getting Injustice Incarnate because, of course, if you have Justice Incarnate, you have to have the Injustice counterpart. And that Injustice counterpart seems to be made up of Magog, the... um, I forget his name, but it was like the manufactured version of Superman from... Oh, Doomsday Superman. uh, No, no, no. It was the... um, I don't remember. It's it's like the manufactured version of Superman from Grant Morrison's Action Comics. It was when President Superman like first got a solo story, but I don't remember the name. I'll have to look oh, it up later. But it's it's see, like this that whole big time. I was like, that's Doomsday Superman. Yeah, no, it's like it's like the the big figure in the background with the red emblem. That's him, uh, yeah. as well as Superwoman, Doctor Savannah, uh, Joker with a yellow lantern ring, and two characters that I don't know actually. Lady Quark, mm. and then the last one with the Ankh over his face, and this is the one that doesn't really make sense because he's he's from uh, New Earth back in the okay. day. He was anyway, but he was a good guy. He was mm. outfitted outfitted with destroyed pieces of Doctor Fate's cloak and helm, repurposed into other things. His name is Jared Stevens, and he goes okay. by Fate. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've I've never heard of him. No, I've only read it. Um, I've only read him as a good guy. So I'm interested mm. in seeing where this goes. Yeah, that that'll be interesting to see how he got, you know, folded into uh, the Injustice Incarnate. 
Yeah, uh, there's so many questions that I've got from this issue. Machines, yeah. machine heads, head comes off. I, I, I didn't even know that was a dude in there. Really? No, yeah, no, he's the, uh, he's the Iron Man counterpart from the Crusaders, who are basically the DC versions of the Avengers. All right, I must have missed that one, because I, I thought that dude was a, a damn uh, robot, man. Yeah. Uh, second thing is, Director Bones dismisses Darkseid is from Captain Adam, and he says that he made a deal. Mm-hmm. With who? I'm thinking it very well could be Darkseid. I think so too. I think to to get some people off his Earth and over to Darkseid for some kind of uh, you know I don't know protection or something like that. But that's that's crazy if that's the truth. It, I it is, and I can't wait to see how this ends. But with only two issues left, I'm worried we're going to be getting a really clunky finale. I hope mm-hmm. I'm wrong. Because as far as this issue goes, I really, really liked it. And I, it completely caught me, caught me off guard. I suppose because Darkseid is putting a bad guy team together, I never considered that there would be another one. Mm. And, I mean, as always, dude, the, the, the art looks amazing. Pencils, inks, colors, the whole way around. Uh, I, I don't, there's no way I could give this anything less than an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, this was, uh, I think, for me, probably the weakest issue so far. But considering that most of the issues have been really good, that is hardly uh, a, that's hardly a diss towards the book. It's um, it just means it's it's it kind of felt more of like a slower issue, at least for me. We're definitely getting more information on, you know, what's going on with these prisoners being moved to uh, Earth Omega and. You know, we're definitely getting answers um, to a lot of the stuff with President Superman and Flashpoint Batman, you know, regarding how all these uh, people are, are essentially being transported. But, um, yeah, it just, I don't know, for, for me at least, it felt a little slower. Um, so I ended up giving this one an 8 out of 10. I, I didn't hate it um, for, for any reason. It just was a little slower for me. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit slower. I guess that didn't bother me with all the information that was getting dropped. So Yeah, yeah. I, like, the essential information, that stuff was definitely interesting to me and worked out. I think it was just... Excuse me. Oh, yeah, you're good. Uh, I th- yeah, I think it was just m- my feelings on this issue. It just didn't totally work. Um, but, damn, if I could remember his name. Um, that... Like I I I I can literally see it. I know it's from that issue of Action Comics. I just don't, I don't I don't remember his name. All I remember is he came from an Earth that basically they were trying to manufacture their own superhero, and it was corrupted by the thoughts of all the people on that Earth, and it became this crazy monstrous being. But I I just don't remember. I'm trying. To I, I, I I literally I literally think. Yeah, I literally think he is just the the Superman of that Earth. Jeez. Um, Let me see if I can find is. the issue. Um, it's Action Comics number eight, I believe, from 2011. Um, uh, let me see. Or no, Action Comics number nine. Like around 2010? Uh, yeah, 2012. Let me see. 
DC put out a book in 2010 called The Mighty Crusaders, which is like from way back in the day, mm. Archie Comics, but... Um, oh, wait, what are you looking for? Uh, I was looking for uh, where Doomsday's, or the other Superman was on. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't, I just, again, I don't even know that he necessarily had a name. I think it was literally just, yeah, I think it was literally just Superman. I think it was just that evil version of Superman from, from that run of action comics. That's, that's the only name I could think of. So uh, listeners, if you're curious I know it's from that run. I know what issue it is. I don't know the name, but you can read it for yourself. Maybe you'll find it, but I <coughs> I don't I don't I don't remember it having any other name. Was it Superman and the Men of Steel? Was that the arc? Um it was that's part of the run, but it was no, it wasn't that volume. It was the second volume, which I think is um uh what's it called? World Against um, Superman. No, bulletproof. Bullet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's the name of the the volume. It's yeah, Superman Action Comics Volume Two, Bulletproof by Grant Morrison. Um, but ooh, yeah, oh, it's gonna nag at me all day. Um, uh, what's it called? Oh, here we go. Super Doom. Super Doom. Okay, so I was right. Go. It's Doomsday, Superman, yeah. Super Doom. Same thing. Super Doom, a corrupt version of Superman from Earth-45 created... Yeah, created by... It was basically a corporate version of... of it, it was some some not-so-subtle commentary on uh, a corporate version of Superman that immediately goes evil because people put all these crazy expectations on it and it immediately flips out and becomes a monster. Imagine that. Uh, I can't imagine. What would happen if a <laughs> studio tried to create their own version of Superman and he was a killer? Oh my God. What would that be like? Crazy. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. Thanks for sticking with Not a Robot. Next up, we have Batman Urban Legends number six with four different stories. So to break it all down, we'll have Josh catching us up on our Red Hood story. I'll follow that up with Zealot. Josh will fill us in on Tim Drake. And to close us off, I will get us up to speed on Black Canary. So Josh, take it away, my friend. This sounds like a great plan, man. Jumping into Red Hood, we've got a cover from Nicholas Scott and Annette Kwok. Red Hood was written by Chip Zdarsky with Becca Carey on letters and interior art from Eddie Burrows, Eber Friera, Scott Eaton, Julio Friera, Eau Claire Albert, Marcus Toe, and Adriano Lucas. That is quite the art team. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the finale of the Zdarsky run as... Sad as that may be. Tears. <laughs> and it is the end of the teardrop story as well. Oracle has let Red Hood into one of Batman's garages, and he's trying to find a way to save Batman. The problem is, Batman has only one untested antidote. And uh, if you don't remember from last month, the reason why he's trying to save him is because Batman is being held by Mr. Freeze and Cheer. 
Speaking of whom, he is still hung up with Dr. Freeze and Cheer, literally hung up by his arms in ice, and he's got a gas mask on with Cheer gas pumping in. He won't breathe, so they punch him in the stomach to make him, and it works. Batman inhales the drug. As Cheer announces the end of Batman's darkness, Jason Todd shows up in a unique outfit. He's wearing a bat suit, but without the cowl, trading it in for his lower face mask. I dig that. Yeah. During his rescue attempt of Bruce, Jason gets his mask knocked off, but thinks to himself that he has to save the antidote for Batman. Now into a hallucination for Jason as he breathes in the cheer. He's shown a world where they all have hung up their masks and can now just be a family. He knows it's not real, but he starts to think about why it shouldn't be. Now, he hasn't completely succumbed because he is still conscious enough to remember the antidote and how badly he wants to get it to Bruce. So he's able to break free of the hallucination, and Cheer is impressed, but not moved. He has someone waiting to kill the mother of the boy that Jason saved. Jason starts to smile, and Cheer thinks that he has won. But nope, it's because the rest of the Bat family shows up. Nightwing, Batwoman, Spoiler, Orphan, Signal, the whole shebang. Except for Tim, who is taking out the guy at the hospital. Mm -hmm. With the family there, Jason can save Batman, and when he comes to, he's pissed and asking for cheer. And when he gets him, he is beyond angry and starts beating the hell out of him. Jason is the one that stops him. Now, Batman can handle fear because that's where he lives. That's what he is. But to show Batman happiness is to torture him because he knows that's something he will never be able to have. Three weeks later, Jason checks on the kid that he saved and gives him his own blue hood. Which, if you remember from the very first story, there's a tie in there. Mm -hmm. Afterward, Jason and Bruce talk and Jason tells him that he is giving up the guns. He had switched to rubber bullets and now he's just going to give them up. After a few pages of showing us the happiness that Bruce saw... With his family everywhere, the cowl hung up, and no joker, Jason walks into his apartment to find a present and an invit- invitation to dinner. The present? It's his old red hood costume. Uh, awesome. That was a really sweet ending. I thought so too, dude. I yeah. thought so too. I, I even, like, I don't know. It's it's rare that... Well, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's it's not always that a an ending will kind of really stick with you. Right. But this this one really stuck with me, especially like that last line from Jason where he's just like, maybe, old man, maybe. It's like, oh, right. <laughs> Ooh. right in my heart, right in I, my cold, dead heart. Right. It's, oh, man, when when I get legitimate, warm stories from the Bat family, there is something that just goes ping. Oh, I know. It starts to crack the ice there. <laughs> it does. It does. I was just, yeah. I just, I, I, I love that of of Bruce just being like, like, Jason. It's it's been kind of a rough ride over these past six issues, but I'm here for you, and I just want you to know that you'll always be a part of us. And to show that, here's your, you know, here's a version of your costume. You still mean a lot to me. I was like, oh, oh, my heart. Right. <laughs> And uh, heart and art is everywhere in this book, man. The oh, yeah. art is absolutely gorgeous. 
and I really love the story, man. Yeah. My question is, do you think that we'll see this seep into other titles with Jason having given up the guns? Probably, considering the uh, Task Force Z uh, book is, you know, featuring Jason as a lead. And it looks like he's just going to be using a crowbar for the, you know, duration of that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> what a I, weapon I think, for him, man. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah, no, I, I think... I think at least for now, it seems like he'll just kind of be giving up the guns for, for at least a little bit, which I, I kind of like. And it, and you think about it, it really is a, a full circle story because yep. it was Jason's guns that kind of got him into this whole dilemma in the first place when he killed that boy's father with his guns. And at the end, his natural resolution is, look, I just I can't use them anymore. It's just not me. It's not the person I want to be. Um, right. And I think that's some real growth for Jason. I do. That's all we've been getting, man. Yeah. Character development. Not just for Jason, but like the entire facet of Gotham City and the Superman titles. Have yeah. Just well, been I, off I, I just, chain, man. I, I love that arc for Jason of just like, you know, I made a mistake and I'm trying to own up to it. I gotta move forward. You know, this this one horrible moment where I killed again and it sucks and I have to live with it. But the best thing I can do is just move forward, try and at least have a decent relationship with my father figure and give up the guns that kind of got me in this problem uh, to begin with. And I just, I like that. I really like that art for Jason. I do. I don't know how long it's gonna last, but in this fixed moment, I really like it. Me so too. I, I, yeah, I gave I, this. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, Well, I was going to say, I feel like for so long, we've seen a Jason Todd that his whole thing is, I don't want to be Bruce. Yeah. But now, it's also, I don't, it's still, I don't want to be Bruce, but it's also, I don't want to be the reason why he doesn't like me. Yeah, and, and, I, and it's, it's I, I call it um, growth, especially because it's, it's not only, I don't want, you know, him to be like me it's also i don't want to be that version of myself that's so exactly cold you know it's i like he's still like there are some people that need to die i haven't changed in that way but i just i don't want to be that person you know i want to be that same person that i was that i've basically been for the past 10 years where i was just kind of cold about it um yeah i don't i I still think some people should die but i don't want to be the guy pulling the trigger anymore yeah yeah, and it's like like I said, I I just I think that's a great arc for Jason. I really do, and I thought this was a really just solid wrap up to it overall. So I I gave this one an eight point five. I just I came away with a big smile on my face, even oh, though yeah. uh, there's definitely some some violence and drama, but it, it just I don't know. It kind of gave me that that decent feeling of like, yeah, good for you, Jason. You're in a good place. Yep, and I mirrored your score as well. This one got an eight point five out of me. Yeah. Fantastic, man. I can't. Yep. This is, oh, man. I just feel like for the last two years, this is what we should have been doing with Jason to begin with. Yeah. But regardless, it's here now, finally, and I love it. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm interested to see where he's, I mean, I know he's going to be in Task Force Z, so I'm interested to see what's going to happen there. But um, I, I hope the best for, for young Jason. Uh, but next up, we have Zealot, which is uh, a, I guess, one and done feature written by Matthew Rosenberg, by written by Matthew Rosenberg with pencils from Chris Spout, from Chris Sprouse, inks from Carl Story, colors from Pete Pentazis, 
and Letters from Josh Reed. This is a fairly short story, about eight pages, uh, and really just revolves around Zealot attempting to kill Maxwell Lord uh, for being too powerful slash being too competitive with Marlowe's <clears throat> own corporation, the Halo Corporation. Uh, even though she fails in her initial mission to catch Maxwell Lord as he is able to hitch himself to a helicopter before she is able to strike the final blow, Zealot is able to track him down to Montenegro uh, in the hopes of finally finishing the deed before she receives some brief disruptance from none other than Wonder Woman herself who seemingly has some kind of mysterious past with Zealot that we don't get the full context for, but a lot of don't their really languages... Don't really get any context for. Yeah, a lot, a lot of their language is, is charged and clearly alludes to some kind of past that I'm interested to see what's there. I hope that they don't just kind of abandon this and leave it as a mystery. I really hope we could get more with you know that interaction of Zealot, but even though Wonder Woman is able to stop Zealot, her mission is not completely unsuccessful. Uh, as, she clear, as she declares, they really did get what they came for, uh, which appears to be a sample of Wonder Woman's blood, as Zealot informs Lady Tron that Marlowe will be coming back to Gotham. Now, uh, Josh, I have to ask, did you get the uh, did you get the sex joke on the first page? Whoa, you're making me feel really dumb here. Twice in a row. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's it was again. It was another one of those really subtle things, but it made me laugh <laughs> because when you know it's Lady Tron, it makes it really funny. I, I've got to go check it out now. So I don't have a choice. Okay, so <laughs> on the first page, when Zealot is skewering one of the security guards, uh, Lady Tron over the uh, comm says, I never thought watching Wonder Woman disembowel a bunch of rent-a-cops would do it for me, but this is doing it for me. It's like the Exxon Valdez over here, which is, again, it's, yep. it, might, it, might, it might seem like what does that even mean? But if you know it's Lady Tron and you know she's a machine and that her body runs on oil, right. it just makes it really dirty. <laughs> it Literally, really dirty. I yeah, I had compl- I did catch that. I just I uh, didn't remember it. That's all. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, I don't blame was, you. But it just, I did. I read I, it. And it made I, me laugh. I giggled at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, this was a, a fairly short, straightforward story. Um, I think there's definitely more interest on my part from the mystery as to what kind of moves the Halo Corporation and Jale- Jacob Marlowe are making, uh, and especially the past between Wonder Woman and Zealot. Like I, like I said, I really hope that doesn't just, you know, fade away. I, I, I want to see more, but um, yeah, I I, uh, I think it was solid, and I really like the art from Chris Sprouse. Um, I think it the was art super was, clean. The art was really good, man. Yeah, it was super clean, super effective, has some great action too. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are some fun nods to Wildstorm history. Again, we get some more stuff with Lady Tron, and um, even the the tower in Gateway City is called Charest Towers after Travis Charest, who is an artist on Wildcats. So lots of cool fun stuff there um but yeah overall like it was just a really solid short story and my hope is that all of this is building towards a wildcats title at some point 
Um, oh man, I, I just I, I don't know. Like they've been I teasing seen it so any much. Solicitations, but I would neither have that, I. Dude. But I mean, like they've been putting out all their announcements today for new books, like the Tom Taylor medieval book and the new Wonder Woman title. And I was just I, w- I was just waiting. I was like, where when are they going to announce like all the Wildcat stuff? Like, come on, man. But anyway, uh, I gave this with bated yeah, breath. Fingers crossed with bated breath, indeed. But anyway, I gave this an eight out of ten. It's just really fun, um, and it's like I said, it's clearly building towards something. I just want to see what that something is. All right, so you have a much better memory than I do, but as far as I can remember, Zealot has never had a problem being called Zealot. Is isn't that right? Yet in I, this story, she did. Yeah, I I think it was just by um, I think it was just by Maxwell Lord, probably because. Because I, I noticed that too, and I was like, "Yeah, she usually doesn't mind." Right. Um, but I, I think it was it was if I had to guess, it's probably just because Maxwell Lord said it, and she's just like, "You don't get to call me that." Like, you're, you're. That makes sense. Bad, that makes me feel a little bit better about that. Part. Yeah. But here's the thing that got me because I love the art. I love Wildstorm. Mm. Zealot's a great character, but I'm confused. You used the word mystery earlier. And I feel like that fits the whole story, not just Wonder Woman and Zealots. Past. Mm. She snuck getting some of Wonder Woman's blood. When the hell does this take place? Because Wonder Woman isn't here right now. Yeah, I assume this is... throwing me off, man. I... I guess I... Well, it, it does say months ago, so... Oh, I missed that. Yeah, presumably, um... This is, I guess, this will be before Death Metal, but um, it would have to be. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, no, it, like you said, because I, I kind of noticed that at first. I was like, "Wait a minute, Wonder Woman, aren't you like in the sphere of the gods or whatever?" Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, it, it does say it was at least a, a month ago. So you can, I guess, you can assume this happened before Grifter and Zealot were in Gotham City and everything. Yeah. Yeah, all right, so that makes me, you know what, it's going up a little bit now. Because um, it was throwing me off. I'm, I am intrigued for the Wonder Woman zealot thing. I guess I missed that captain that said it was months ago, but. Yeah. Um, I'm very curious. I'm, I'm, I like it. I am a bit confused as to where this is going to go, but mm-hmm. it was a really enjoyable short story. Yeah, and hopefully we're right, and it's going to land in a wildstorm ongoing. I don't even want a miniseries. I am half-assed demanding an ongoing <laughs> wildstorm title right now. I know, I do too. I really do, especially if it's written by Matthew Rosenberg. But oh, that I would just be kick-ass. I, I, uh, I just cynical me just knows it's probably going to be a limited series probably gonna be like a six or eight issue miniseries about the wildcats and i would love to have an ongoing i really do but i feel like they're just going to play it safe and just give us the miniseries and you know that'll be it but no i i if they could give us this creative team you know him and chris sprouse doing the wildcats book that would be absolutely amazing can i just uh i just want to express my disdain for any miniseries length that isn't three six nine or twelve issues when it's in between those it drives me bonkers i don't know why it just does really (laughs) yeah it's Mm. um i feel like for 
a, a three issue is the perfect way to, to tell a very short story. A six issue mini is a way to just kind of like tell a little tale, um, mm. maybe related or unrelated to the larger universe. And it, I feel like six issues is enough time to kick out a really good developed arc for a, a, a short contained story. Um, nine issues, I think, exist to take that and go just a little bit further than that. And then 12 issues is the full-blown story. When I hear that somebody's making a five-issue miniseries, I, it makes me scratch my head. Really? I, I actually think five-issue series, um, in my opinion, can sometimes work better than six issues. Because I, I know for me, sometimes a six-issue series can really hit a point at issue three or four where it feels like it's dragging. Whereas with a five issue series, you, do you can definitely kind of, yeah, you can, you can trim it down. And, you know, once you get to, it, it's almost like that perfect sweet spot where once you get to issue two, there's still like three issues left. So if you're not digging it, you can always jump off. But once you get to issue three, you're already more than halfway through it. So might as well finish. It's up to you. Um, ah, so it's, it's really almost like that business model. Yeah, it's 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 like that perfect yeah, it's that perfect model where, you know, if you're reading it, there's a perfect place to jump off and there's a perfect place to keep going. Um but uh yeah, I I, I don't know. Like it would be great to have a Wildcats ongoing. I think we all can agree on that, but uh and whether if you or not don't, you commit. You're just a jerk. Yes. You are, <laughs> you are less than no I'm just less kidding. Than. Um, we love you. Oh man! All right, I gave Should that one a on? seven five out of ten. I'm not. Nice, nice. I don't think I cool. gave my score on that one, but yeah, seven five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, seven point five. All right. Uh, all right. Should we move on to our next one? I do believe so. All right, all right. Next up, we have the Tim Drake backup story. So, Josh, take it away. Written by Megan Fitzmartin with art from Balin Ortega and Alejandro Sanchez, one of my favorite colorists. You're going to hear me say that every time I say his name. <laughs> and lettering from Pat Brasseau. I said your name right, Pat. The last in a three-part series, we are back with the Chaos Monsters. Robin is now on the scene after Tim kicked the hell out of his kidnappers off-panel and in between books. After he saves Bernard from his impending sacrifice from the Chaos Monsters, Tim sets out to take out the bad guys. He tells Bernard to hightail it, but apparently Bernard has been doing some training himself and he starts to help out. This yeah. entire time, Robin has been having inner dialogue, comparing himself to Batman, asking himself what would Batman do, explaining that answer to himself, and even Bernard notices that he's trying to act like Batman. <laughs> now, as they're surrounded, Bernard asks Robin of one thing. Should he not make it out? Tim tells him to not think like that, but he insists, and he asks Robin to tell Tim Drake he wishes that they could have finished their date. And I feel as though that that panel, the, the very next one after, after Bernard says that, mm. I thought that that was... Such a great job on Tim Drake's face showing confusion and appreciation of being complimented. <laughs> like it was it was it was such a really, really good job. The artist did a fantastic, fantastic job on that particular panel. Yeah, they really captured the emotion. 
Yeah, that's exactly. That's the best way to say it. <laughs> but uh, after some more inner dialogue about confusion and fighting against something that's not quite right and admitting to himself what he wants, the family to be safe, he wants the mantle, presumably of the bat, and more. And while Tim is perched high up on a fire landing, someone who I think... And, and please, tell me if I'm wrong, because I can't figure out who else this would be, but it looked like Mayor Nakano. Uh, no, that's the uh, detective from the last issue. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. I was like, that doesn't make Nakano any damn sense the, uh, at all. The eye patch. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Whoops. Okay, well, good. <laughs> Up half good. a score. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway, the detective gives him a pep talk about letting go and finding out who he really wants to be. And Mm. that leads Tim to seek out Bernard and tell him how glad he is that he's okay. And then, after Bernard asks, he agrees to go out on a date with him. Whoa. Yeah. I cannot imagine that there's a lot of people, and according to Twitter and quite a few articles I've read, (laughs) the toxic comic community... They really hate this idea. But look, man, I mean, him being a member of the LGBTQIA plus community is far better than him turning super dark. Yes, yeah, it is. Unless. Well, uh, hopefully it doesn't go that direction. But um, yeah, I I mean, I've I've certainly seen uh, a lot of uh, feedback on this. Um, That's one way to put it. Yeah, from from both sides, I would say people who are very happy um, and uh, people who are are not quite as happy. And um, I would say, at least to our listeners out there, that it's important to keep in mind that this is something that a lot of teenagers and a lot of young people go through uh, around Tim's age. It's certainly not unheard of. A lot of people have moments where they're questioning their sexuality. And it's important to keep in mind that it is fluid. You know, there are points at which... People feel that, you know, maybe they thought they were straight, but really they feel attraction towards both men and women and they realize something new about themselves. And um, it's, you know, Tim is at a point where I would say, you know, let's not put any labels on it yet. Uh, Tim is still questioning who he is and, and certainly doesn't know yet. I know a lot of articles were quick to jump on the fact that, you know, he's bisexual or, or anything. And that very may well be the case, but... According to this, Tim, he's, he's, yeah, he's got big enough balls to go out there and find out. Yes, yeah. Tim is still at the point where he's at least trying to figure it out, you know. Yep. And, and um, I just I saw a lot of anti-gay stuff and a lot of stuff that wasn't couth. Let's just say that. Uh, yeah, but, um, I'm sure. You know, I mean, it, you said it there. Uh, even if Tim does decide that this is the direction he wants to go in his personal life. Guys, it doesn't mean he's 100% gay. He's been with women. He's still attracted to women. I don't think he'll ever take Stephanie's phone number out of his phone. But he just likes more people. Get yeah, with the I, damn times, man. Uh, yeah, well, if, yeah, if you've, enter, if you've ever talked to anyone who is bisexual, who has a opposite sex partner, they can tell you that Opposite sex partner sounds kind of dirty. Uh, <laughs> a partner of the opposite sex can tell you that it does not invalidate their feelings. It just means that that's the person they settled up with. So 
My wife is back. bisexual. I I deal with that. I yeah, mean, shit, she'll I'm, tell me when somebody's butt looks good. I'll appreciate yeah, it, it, you know? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mean that they love you any less. And no, it doesn't not validate your history. Um, and, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, th- I think it's kind of silly that, that people would be, you know, acting as though it maybe it ruined Tim Drake or anything. It did not. Tim is still the same person that you know. Um, and certainly his relationship with Stephanie has not been invalidated. Because nope. as any as any person who is bisexual can tell you that it doesn't mean that they suddenly just don't like the opposite sex anymore. It just means that they are exploring other types of relationships in their life. And that's, that's something that a lot of people go through. So it, it, I, I think it's perfectly fine for someone to explore this story with Tim. Um, don't see it. I, I, I honestly think the, the more offensive thing to do with Tim was about 10 years ago when they retconned his entire history and tried to make it as though he was never Robin. Because that really is doing exactly what these people are saying that this is doing, which is completely erasing his history. That was right. literally taking a character and wiping him clean and turning him into something else. Which was I ridiculous. Would, yeah, I would say that's pretty bad. This is not that bad. Tim is still a Teen Titan, still a member of Young Justice, still a Robin, still all the things that you love about him. It's just something new to explore. So It's one more facet of his personality. We've been doing, we've been getting, excuse me, nothing but character building, nothing but character development throughout, the. I would say, the vast majority of the DC books. Stop getting in your own damn way. Yeah. And before I move on to ask one question and finish the summary of this book, I just want to say one thing. If you're getting pissed at these people for choices that they've made in the as if they are in the real world and really offending you then let's just <laughs> take this thing and pull it all the way into the real world and if you've got a problem with Tim being bisexual or even possibly gay go tell that to Midnighter and Apollo yeah yeah <laughs> I, yeah I, I don't know it's uh it's honestly, it's it's really not a big deal for me. You it know, shouldn't it's, be. It's just it's 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 another aspect of Tim, and I think at the end of the day, I'm just I'm I'm like happy that there's some kind of spotlight on Tim. I'm glad he's doing something exactly. And isn't in the background or or just being shunted to the side in Young Justice, spending uh, issues just texting. Yes, yeah, like this. I don't know. This feels like something that's actually there. Um, exactly. Now I can understand critiques of the story. I, I do agree that the chaos monster plot was a uh, little—I um, don't know—kind of empty. Uh, didn't have a ton going for it. It definitely, it definitely kind of felt like it was just there to get Tim to a place where he was questioning himself. So it was really just kind of a plot device. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that. Um, I, I wasn't terribly interested in the villain, but my hope is that at the very least we can get some good. You know, character development and character growth for Tim. That's that's really all I care about. Um, that's the very I, I, job of a plot device, man. Yeah, I just my hope is that you know maybe you can infuse that with a bit more of an interesting story. So I actually, I well, the first two chapters were kind of like they were good, and I really loved the art. But again, the story was just kind of weak. I felt like the resolution, the wrap up to this was pretty good, even if the story is still kind of um, bland. Uh, but I gave it an eight out of ten because I you know I felt like. It was a strong wrap-up for this particular arc of Tim yeah. Drake, um, yep. even if you know the chaos monster stuff was just kind of there. 
it was just kind of there. Um, yeah. Do you think that I could still possibly be right and they are going to send Tim Drake dark because they're going to continue this storyline and this exploration for just a little while and then something happens to Bernard? I, it could be, honestly. I don't know. I hope not. Because, but... I, I mean, I would hate to see the whole reason for this to become a plot device itself. Yeah. Because then yeah. it takes all the character development right out of it, and then the next person that picks it up can just undo what was done. and that That's not cool, man. But uh, No. Like you said, man, I feel like it wrapped everything up. The idea of the chaos monsters is just a plot device, and they were honestly completely ridiculous. They could have been just regular cult members. It's mm. not like Gotham has a short supply of those. No. <laughs> so, I mean, that said, the art is gorgeous. It is friggin' fantastic, and the story was really good for what it was, chaos monsters aside. Mm. Like we've been sitting here talking about forever, the character development throughout this three-issue series has been what's really sold it for me on top of the art. Yeah. <sighs> Tim Drake is my favorite Robin, period. I am super cool with this new direction. I hope to see I hope that we see him gain a bit more confidence in himself. And though this arc is done, it looks like Tim's story isn't, as it does say to be continued in Urban Legends number 10, but we are only on number 6 right now, so we've got a little while to wait. Yeah, not till, assuming it keeps its monthly schedule December, it seems. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. For this story, man, it deserves an 8.5 out of 10. Nice. All right, next up we have our final story in this anthology, and that is our Black Canary final story. And final story. That is our Black Canary story, uh, aptly titled Solo, as it features Black Canary going solo. This was written by Joshua Williamson with art from Trevor Harrison, colors from Rain Barreto, and letters from Steve Wands. In the Hall of Justice, Black Canary and Green Arrow are having some very appropriately no, that's not the word. Having some very aptly timed. Uh, what? What am I going for here? Why am I not? Why am I getting it? Uh, having. This just doesn't make any sense. See, guys out there, I'm not oh the only God. one that screws up. See, I know. It's just it's like the just sentence me. just like made no sense. <laughs> no, okay, here we go. Here we go. Because I was like, what the hell was I trying to say? Meanwhile, in the Hall of Justice, Green Arrow and Black Canary are having some appropriate, some appropriate alone time. That just sounded weird. It did. Uh, anyway, also, the way they, you said "meanwhile" in the Hall of Justice, you said that wrong. You're uh, supposed, to, supposed go, to say "meanwhile, meanwhile in, the in the Hall of Justice." Of Justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in the Hall of Justice, Black Canary are doing their thing with some target practice and Batman basically what I'm trying to say, uh, as they are aiming for a particular dummy with Batman's face on it, as you do, uh, while <clears throat> when Dinah gets the call that she needs some help from Oracle. So she stops by the clock tower as Babs fills her in on a particular mission that she will be the perfect fit for. A new organization called Trust has acquired a lot of the technology that was sold after the Joker War, and she believes that 
and she believes that Black Canary will be the perfect person to go undercover to find out about the woman who is running Trust, a woman by the name of Juliet Ballantyne. It's a cute little scene where Babs and where Babs and Dinah trade some banter, in particular chiding each other over their uh, how we shall shall we say uh, strange relationship? No, strained relationships. Jesus, <laughs> when did I write this? <laughs> After four long islands. Mu- yeah, it must have been or something. I don't know what's going on. After the strained relationships, uh, Black Canary initially rejects the offer as she feels that someone else would be a better fit, but Babs is able to convince her, given that she will have as much money as she needs and, of course, a super cool car. So she arrives at the gala in London in the hopes of trying to get an in with Miss Ballantyne and... Luckily, is able to get the perfect cover as some agents show up, hoping to kidnap Miss Ballantyne, and Dinah is able to take them out with uh, some ease and, and no real problems there. Ballantyne then whisks away Black Canary with her own private car and introduces her to trust in the hopes that she will be out there and uh, helping people and, and training and so forth. And she even informs Dinah that Trust had worked with her mother in the past at some point, but Ballantyne in particular informs her that she will not be working alone as she will have a partner in this endeavor, and that partner is none other than a very familiar goatee-wearing friend of Dinah's. (laughs) No, it's not Green Arrow, as that is what Dinah initially thinks. It is none other than Slade Wilson Deathstroke, who she is incredibly unhappy to see. But we later find out that the uh, mysterious assassins who were trying to take out Miss Ballantyne were working for none other than Talia al Ghul, who is looking to make her way in a mysterious shadow war to come. Um, This was cool, but I gotta be honest, um, I was really with it for the first half of the story. Like, I was super into it. This was like a cool, you know, spy thriller with Black Canary. Mm -hmm. But... When it got to the back half, I don't know, it just, it kind of lost me. Like, I was interested in the trust stuff and everything, and I know that's going to be bleeding into Deathstroke Incorporated, but yeah. I don't know, it, it, it just kind of lost me at the back half. It just kind of devolved into exposition, and, and I just wasn't, like, I was interested, but I wasn't as interested in this immediate story. I'm interested in Deathstroke Inc., but it just, that part of the story kind of lost me. So it was weird. I, I never... Like I feel like I never lose interest that fast, but by there, the time it's she... It's too short of a story to start doling out expositional Yes, dialogue. yeah, I think that was it. Like, it, it just it needed more time to develop, but it was just like... It, I think it, it, it after she saves Valentine, it just was moving so fast. I was just like, oh, whoa, this is not, this is not good. Um, but that being said, it was not a bad story. I, I would overall say I enjoyed it. I ended up giving this one a 7.5 out of 10, and I really dug the artwork i really like this way that black canary is drawn especially in her fights it's very kinetic it's very action-packed but and i and i believe um no i don't believe i know harrison is the same guy who did deceased so it's nice to see him back in action Mm -hmm. um but yeah it just you know it was just kind of a a decent story like like i said i really dug the first part with her and ollie and her and babs and the fight but after that it just kind of lost me so like I said, 7.5. I get everything that you're saying. Real quick, before mm. I get into my opinions, let me ask you a question. 
Why is Babs in her Batgirl costume? I don't know. That's a good question. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, sure, she still has it, and she'll put it on when necessary, but when she's Oracle, and that's clearly who she is here, why in the hell is she dressed like Batgirl? I don't don't understand Maybe this was, like, in that grace period between Joker War and the, like, arc with Cloud Hunter, where she had just stopped being Batgirl and was starting to be Oracle again. So she's still wearing the costume. I have no idea. But yeah, that was that was weird. And it's not even like, I can't even say it's like a prelude to Fear State because Babs has a new costume there. Yep. This is like her old costume. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I have no idea. Me either. It was kind of weird. It is. I felt like this was pretty enjoyable. And as far as introducing what's about to come, I think it did a pretty, pretty decent job of the, in the tiny pages that it had for mm. a setup. Uh, I feel like the story is going to be very sprawling. Yeah. Um, Black Carry, Black Carry, Jesus. Black Carry. <laughs> Black Canary and Green Arrow have been showing up so much. And we've got Destro Inc. that's coming out. Checkmate. These are all going to be related. So this could be a good one, man, potentially. Mm-hmm. But this arc needs so very much oversight. Because while there are two amazingly great creative teams on these stories, there is one that is a bit lacking because of one person. So Ben Abernathy needs to keep your thumb down on this, okay? Yeah. Just do that for me, or else it's Mm. going to screw up. I'm intrigued. I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to all of this starting. And, of course, it looked amazing while reading it. So I gave this one an 8.25 out of 10. Oh, nice. I thought so. I'm 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 very curious. I'm you know how I feel about Bendis, so I'm not happy that he's a part of this little tiny universe that's going on, but uh with everyone else involved, I'm hoping that it still pulls off the caper or whatever it is we're going for here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, it's hard to say yet, but I, I think at least in terms of the story, I think Deathstroke Inc. will be pretty interesting, you know, for as long as we have it. And um, I, I definitely want to see what kind of um, story they're really going to build out of it, um, especially with that little tease at the end of Shadow War. Um, I don't know if that's going to be, you know, an arc in Deathstroke Inc. or an event or whatever, uh, clearly, it's probably going to be written by Joshua Williamson, if I had to guess. Um, I would imagine he's got his hand in everything at this point, but it, it, he'll have the he'll have the credits or at least a byline. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, even even if it didn't, even if this particular story didn't land in every aspect, um, I'm, I'm interested to see where Deathstroke Inc. goes and. Um, uh, I, and I just, where I just Black like... Canary and Green Arrow go, because I feel like we've been seeing them represented in their best personalities. Yeah, I mean, I just like getting you know more solo. I I, I think that's why the title of this um, this short story is is, is great because it's it is Black Canary going solo, and I love when when Dinah kind of steps away from from uh, Ollie for a second. You know, they're together and they're great and. It's, it's always fun to see that pairing, but, you know, sometimes 
Dinah can be kind of a badass hero in her own right, and it's really cool to see that. Uh, I mean, she is a badass hero in her own right. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Black Canary is going to be lining up with Babs and Deathstroke. Green Arrow is with Checkmate. I'm yeah. very curious if we're going to see Black Canary and Green Arrow on opposite sides of the coin. It's possible. It's very possible. I mean, I, I, I don't. I kind of dropped Checkmate, for being honest. Um, oh, I did too. <laughs> but I, I, as I remember from Checkmate and Justice League, Ollie had purchased Checkmate because he had a, like a ton of money now. and Yeah. So he's kind of running that in secret. And so my guess is in he's this He's funding great, Checkmate and the Justice League. Yeah. My guess is that in this great shadow war that's to come, it's probably going to pit you know all the secret organizations against each other again. And... Um, or at least some of them, and yeah, and there's a, definitely a possibility that uh, Ollie with Checkmate and Dinah with Trust um, are, you know, probably going to come to blows. Even though, you know, uh, Dinah is kind of working as a double agent for Trust, and they don't know that yet. So while it may look like they're fighting each other, they may actually just be working together um, in secret. So I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a well des- it's a well deserved eight point two five out of ten as far as I'm concerned. And overall these these were really, really good books. Mm. It honestly, this is probably my favorite ongoing anthology book series that I've ever read. Oh. Uh, I honestly can't tell you when or what the last one I enjoyed was I don't like anthologies. They annoy the shit out of me because it feels like they're just little tiny stories thrown in to sell a big book for 10 bucks. And they're never, they're never super great. A great example is like every single one from death metal. Yeah. They were all horrible, man. Uh, baby Batman. I mean, come on, (laughs) but, uh, this one for me, uh, I just I look forward to Urban Legends every month, and I can say I look forward to it because I just I never go into it going oh god, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's always well. Last month was pretty good. Let's see where this goes, and it has yet to let me down. So I am giving this one an eight point five out of ten across the board for the whole book. Nice, nice. Yeah, I um. I think I, I don't know exactly what mine rounded out to. I, I didn't do the math, but I, I'm I'm feeling at least for this issue an eight point two five out of ten. Oh yeah, because um, I yeah I really did dig um, the Red Hood and Zealot stories, and even though the um, Tim Drake and Black Canary stories had some elements that were weaker, I think overall it was just a really solid package, and uh, I could definitely see myself revisiting a couple of these stories soon. So oh for sure, um, I'm 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 happy with that. But we're not quite done with Chip Zdarsky yet, as we will be moving on to our next title, Justice League Last Ride, number four. This issue, as per usual, was brought to us by writer Chip Zdarsky, with art from Miguel Mandonka, uh, letters from, no, not letters, colors from Enrica Angelini, and letters from And World Design. Uh, This issue finally gives us the long-awaited answer of what happened to the Martian Manhunter. 
on Apocalypse as Batman and Martian Manhunter are attempting to figure out how to shut down the boom nukes before they reach Earth. Batman in particular notes that the best way to handle the situation would be to shut down the power source. Of course, this is all while of course, this is all while the Apocalyptans are trying to storm Darkseid's castle to stop Batman and Martian Manhunter from stopping Darkseid's plans. And in particular, Calabac storms the door room and Martian Manhunter is forced to hold him off. But while Batman realizes that the only way to shut down the power supply is someone who can get to the main power source in the core and take off the safety hatch to drain it, Martian Manhunter is the one that volunteers for the job. Superman is absolutely distraught knowing that Jaon has a weakness to fire and that this will almost certainly kill him, but Jaon is the one that really wants to take the sacrifice, and Batman in particular believes that he is the best person for it. Superman, freaking out while still fighting Darkseid on Oa, attempts to fly all the way to Apocalypse. I don't even know how you would be able to do that for Oa, but... I guess he tries uh, in the hopes of reaching it, in the hopes of reaching Jaan in time before he is killed. But Jaan makes the heroic sacrifice, opens the core, and is able to drain the battery to stop Apocalypse, but losing his life in the process. Meanwhile, in the modern day, John Stewart, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman are holding off an armada while Hal Jordan and Batman are on Apocalypse trying to figure out the best way to reignite the defenses on Apocalypse to hold off the armadas that are sure to breach the that are sure to breach Wonder Woman and Green Lantern soon. Lobo, Superman, and Flash are having a, a bit of a bit of a I don't even know what to call it, uh sparring match with words, I guess. Uh, a showdown, if you will. Where Superman in particular is absolutely done with Lobo, and Flash is trying to find out a little bit more. And in this instance, Lobo reveals that it was not him who mindlessly killed the new gods, but it was actually someone who hired him. Superman gives him the typical, even if someone hires you, it's still your fault speech, and Lobo quickly fires back with, well, I'm sure you'd know all about that, wouldn't you? And Superman clearly does not take it very well. <laughs> in space, Diana and John are holding off the Armada as best they can, but struggling to hold them off. As... The arrival of one particular brute is making the challenge even harder, and that person is none other than Mongol, who informs them that they may just be out of their jurisdiction. Back on Apocalypse, Flash and Superman are discussing the idea that maybe Lobo wasn't lying and someone actually did hire him to take out the entire race of new gods. Wally in particular feels that this may be a trap, but before he can finish his thoughts, Clark, looking over the horizon with his supervision, realizes that Wally may just be right, as an entire Mad Max-style armada of manhunters being led by a fused version of Brainiac and Cyborg Superman are getting ready to arrive and take care of the Justice League. Uh, I, I certainly wasn't expecting that at the end, but uh, no. it, was a, <laughs> it, was, it was a welcome sight. Uh, this series is, is great. I, I'm just, I'm continually blown away by how much I'm enjoying each issue. Right. Uh, which Ooh is amazing. Wee, what a ride. <laughs> I know. It, it, well, that's why it's called the Justice League Last Ride. Uh, there we go. I end it very well. Could yeah. be your last one. Oh, yeah. And I, um, 
I, I remember last month you were saying, you know, that this issue in all likelihood, or this series in all likelihood is going to be, you know, the series that features the death of the Justice League. And I wasn't really sure at first, but I think this issue in particular really solidified it where, like, I, I get the feeling that, yeah, not everyone's walking out of here alive. And in fact, I think I actually kind of went back to the last issue and I think that that's what um, uh, Bruce might have been alluding to with Hal, where he was talking about, you know, the next generation of, of superheroes. And I think, and I have no idea how this is going to end. I'm, I'm just along for the last ride. But um, I, I, think, I think the ending is going to be this version of the Justice League, you know, Bruce, Diana, uh, Hal, Wally, that, you know, generation of the Justice League is going to die and the people that we saw back on Earth, you know, Dick and Cyborg and Raven and Starfire and all those guys are going to become the Justice League at the end of the story. That would be my guess, but I could be totally wrong. It, but, it would work with me, man. Yeah, I would, I would love that. But um, yeah, no, this series just really continues to impress me with its story. Like, I, I just am just blown away. Um, and I like, it's so crazy to me that the art in this series is almost like getting even better with each issue. Like the first issue's art was really amazing, but it's almost like each subsequent issue, Mendoncha has been trying to outdo himself. So each battle, each, you know, quiet moment has just been even more, you know, just beautiful than the last one. And I mean, there's just so many panels that I could, just point out, like literally, really, just get it. If you get a chance to even pick up this issue, just flip through it, and you'll see what I mean. Just like all these, you know, shots of people's faces or you know, people in action or whatever, and it's like somehow even better than how good it was in the first issue and the second yeah. issue and the third issue. It's just, it's like he's just stepping himself up in each one, and maybe that's because the script is getting crazier and he's being asked to draw even more crazy stuff i have no idea but man it looks so good it does and, like <laughs> i am so glad that this is was not a digital first series because Me if we had only been getting like little chunks of this i would have been so po'd like, you and me both man <laughs> yeah just being able to have like these 20 page installments each month makes it so much better Oh, absolutely. So, I, if, it, if it wasn't clear, I absolutely love this issue. I gave it an 8.5. I actually gave it an 8.75 because just talking about it made me realize how much more I liked it. That's, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, if you asked me to sit down and give you an essay on why I love this book, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Like, like you said, man, the artwork. And that's the best word to describe it, man. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. It is beautiful. That like it just. I, sorry, lower, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're but. fine. That lower right pane where Lobo is giving Superman shit. Oh man, look at I, that. I know exactly. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Superman's face, dude. I mean, wow is the yeah. only word I've got, and it's and not you even were, his whole body, dude. It's I know, just and his you face. were <laughs> you were talking about how Belen Ortega captured the emotion in Tim's face, yeah, in, in Urban Legends. Mendoncha's ability to capture emotion in this series is like, my God, it's Off the incredible. Chart. Like even even the like more somber moments where Batman is trying to say goodbye to Martian Manhunter and Martian Manhunter's preparing to make the sacrifice and 
Superman is freaking out. Like, it's just, oh, man. Yeah, when he's flying through the air yelling, John! Yeah. And then uh, when when you see Martian Manhunter get engulfed, it was just... It's 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 absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And how cool! I mean, I know I said I, I'm going to sound like I'm betraying myself. I know I said that Daniel Samperi's version of Mongol might have been my favorite I've ever seen. I haven't seen a ton of versions of Mongol, but I just his version of Mongol was so good. But I don't know, like this version of Mongol that we saw that was about to throw down with Wonder Woman is pretty good. He looks really badass, and I like the new yeah. style that he's got. Yeah. And the story, I mean, we've been raving about the art, but the story is so damn interesting. I mean, this yeah. shows me, it's like, these. this is who I think these characters really are. Yeah. I mean, you know a story is good when, like, I was just flying through this book. Like, I was done after, like, I think 15 minutes or something because I was so into it. Yeah. I mean, I think it might have been 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Less. Uh I'm uh, of course we're four issues in and I am still totally in. Yep. We've got two issues left, right? I think I I honestly I don't know cuz I've seen like on um one of the like comic book release sites or whatever. It said it was a seven issue series, but I've also seen some people saying it was an eight issue series. So I have no idea. And in all honesty, I think we're just going to have to see uh, when we get to um, December, like if there's another issue, great. If if it's done after seven, then it's done after seven. I just I have no idea. But I love this series. I, I don't necessarily think it should be an ongoing, but I do think that this team, this creative team, should do more Justice League. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, according to Games Radar, it's looking at eight. So okay. that makes me feel a little bit better because if it was six. I would have been really worried about the the wrap up and yeah, whether or yeah, not it this definitely stuck. feels like it'll take its time. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm cool with that. There yeah. is one word to describe this issue, and it is magnificent. Mm. <laughs> I gave it a nine out of ten. Loved Wonderful. it. Yeah, love this and issue. Zadarsky, keep it up. I know. I, I can't wait to see what he does, you know, next with this series, with other stuff at DC. I hope he's not done with his stories of DC. I hope you can tell more stories of Justice League or anything else. Put this creative team together and I will buy it. It's just, it's gorgeous. Um, it's such a great story. Right there with you. But that brings us to our final issue for this week. And that is I Am Batman number zero, which will be launching us into a new I Am Batman series coming right in the midst of Fear State. I will let Josh take it away with this one. I would be more than happy to. However, I forgot to write down the creative team on this one. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> you got it or? I do have it. This is... Brought to us by writer John Ridley with writer John Ridley with art from Travel Formand, inks from Norm Ratmund, and letters from Rex Locus. Okay. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> hey, we're human, not robots. Yes. All right. So <laughs> this one starts out with Jason Kyoto, Japan, where he has been training and helping revolutionaries. 
it quickly goes to present day, with Alleytown residents protesting the conditions of Gotham. And let's be honest, they kind of have a right to, and more than that, they deserve to be able to. Gotham is a shithole. (laughs) 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 Very much. Jace Fox is working for his dad at Fox Tech, and during that time, he re-meets up with Hadia, who is, I think it's Hadia or Hadia. Yeah. Um, who is working with his dad to bring broadband to underserved countries, which is pretty cool. He's also in radio contact with Val, who I'm unfamiliar with, but provides him with tech support, for lack of a better term. (laughs) Yeah. Jace goes into the Batman R&D lab, and Val is trying to hack what I think is the Hellbat suit, or something very close to it. Looks like it, yeah. Yeah. So... You know, so Jace can have access to it. Arcadine had six people's IDs when he was busted, so Val tries to track them down and find their phones. He gets one. He takes on, he takes off toward the docks where the signal led, and it turns out that the people who owned those IDs are dead in the warehouse where some serious bombs are being made. Mm-hmm. One of the bad guys there making those bombs betrays the other, and leaves setting off one of the bombs. Jace scoops him up uh, with his leg shot and carries him, and they are both blown into the nearby water. After they get out, Jace grills the guy, and he gives him very little info, except that whatever's going down is going down in Alleytown. He heads <laughs> there, and <laughs> he heads there, and he knows what's happening. The IDs were to let some people cause a whole lot of trouble at the protests in Alleytown, set them up to make it look like the protesters were the bad guys, giving the law enforcement there and the magistrate the chance to attack with provocation. Mm-hmm. Jace has finally shown up in the Hellbat armor, and let's just admit that it looks pretty damn cool on him. He's in there trying to take out the impersonators, and he's identified as being against the protesters because that's who the bad guys are impersonating. Mm -hmm. The magistrate's police bots show up and knock Jace down with an RPG. Wow. I can't believe that's something you bring for riot control. (laughs) Yeah. So the Hellbat suit is damaged very badly, so Val executes chaos mode which apparently comes with smoke, lights, and a big, huge siren, as well as the opportunity to escape. Without the bat suit, that is. Back at Foxtet, Jace realizes that he can't just take the original Batman stuff. It's not for him. And he wants his own symbology so that people know they're safe with him. That's when he tells Val that he needs their help designing something. Man, this was a bit better than I was expecting, actually. Yeah, this was solid. It was really solid. It's a big book, but it does have a lot in it. And as far as painting motivation and personality of Jace is concerned, it's, it does a great job. Mm-hmm. As well as the introduction of his own Bat family, or at least kind of anyway. The art was mostly great, but when it faltered, it really faltered. Yeah, I, I I bounce back and forth between liking Travel Foreman on the books that they've been doing or books that he's been doing with um, with John Ridley because I I like Travel Foreman I really do I just don't know if like gritty Gotham is the right fit for him most of the time 
I yeah. usually think of him as like horror, you know, or, or that sort of thing. Like, I think I mentioned before, he did Animal Man. He did uh, a, like a couple issues of The Ultimates. And that yeah. was good for him because they were very horror focused. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, sometimes, he certainly can't draw the hell bad armor. Yeah, sometimes it can look good. Sometimes it can just look a little eh. And I, I wonder if that's because he's not necessarily a good fit or maybe the inks aren't quite there or I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a mixture of all of them. But yeah, it's I, I definitely agree. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the next Batman. But this is me, ready to do away with alternate stories, history lessons, and, well, this is eventually going to happen. I want to see Jace Batmanning. Just get it here already. Other than that, I enjoyed the hell out of it, 8 out of 10. Yeah, I thought it was just, like I said, solid setup. I'm interested to see where the series is going to begin and how Jace is going to make his own symbol. I also gave this one an 8 out of 10. I think that's the only one we matched on this week. <laughs> yeah. Where is, it, where is it? Where is it? All right. Now that that's done, let's break down our top three books for this week and a standout moment if you have one. Josh, how about you start us off? Uh, I think my choices were pretty obvious. <laughs> Urban Legends takes number three. Again, the only anthology series I've ever looked forward towards and having four most usually it's four stories mm. uh, c- consistently just kicking ass even when they're not amazing they're still really good mm. that deserves number three the same things can be said about number two uh, that's detective comics the writing the art in it is just gorgeous the backup stories almost always work for me there it's it's just been a great run in detective. Yeah. And number one is obviously Justice League Last Ride. Oh yeah. And I think we pretty much covered why that is in my number one spot. Yeah. Now my favorite moment that is when Injustice Incarnate showed up and I looked at them and I knew every single person there. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you 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 got it more than me. Yep. I thought I was supposed to be the DC encyclopedia, but I had no idea who that guy with like the onk on his face was. When when they started doing the New Earth stuff, I gave it its fair chance. Uh-huh. And then here, just uh, I want to say about two years ago, I went through and reread it just to see if I was right, and it was as bad as I remember. Oh, but. <laughs> But um, it, I mean, it had its it's it had its highs and lows. But uh, that fake guy and uh, that that's where he's from. Mm-hmm. Lady Quark, though, uh, <clears throat> I know that's who that is. But I'm having a hell of a time remembering where I know her from. Yeah, I I had no idea. <laughs> I was just like, I guess that's some lady in like a yellow glowing skin skin suit or something, right? So, what were your top three? My top three are kind of similar to yours. Uh, at number three, I had I Am Batman number zero. I thought it was just a really solid setup. Um, I was almost going to tie it with Detective Comics, but I Am Batman just narrowly beat it for my third spot. 
Um, at number two, I had Batman Urban Legends. Number six, overall, it was just a really solid anthology and delivered stories that, again, were just, just some were really great, some were just kind of solid. Um, and, and honestly, that's okay. But at number one, I had to give it to Justice League Last Ride, number four, easily my favorite issue of this week. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And like I said, it's, it's rare sometimes where you just have a book that you're so immersed in that you just fly through it. And I, I, I just, I'm so into this story. I'm so into the art. They just are so in sync with each other, and it's so great to read. Um, so it made my top spot. Uh, but my favorite moment for this week it was definitely a tough one. There were a lot of great moments from all the books. I did want to give it to Dan Mora with the splash page of Bruce in the classic bat suit. But to be honest, I, I had to give it to a moment that was completely unexpected, caught me off guard, but I still loved it nonetheless. And that is the final page of Justice League Last Ride where Cyborg Superman slash Brainiac is riding atop his Mad Max car with an army of manhunters. And I was just like, this is not what I was expecting, but I'm so here for it. So I had oh, to yeah. get into that. What an unusual team up, too. Yeah, I know. I, and, and I'm like, I don't know how they got like merged together or whatever, but I hope we get some clarity on that, because that is way off the wall, but I'm totally here for it. Oh, no. No, wait. This is an Elseworlds story. <laughs> Never mind. I was like, I wonder if this is going to tie into the Beast Boy Cyborg merch, but it can't. Oh, no. I think, yeah. They, that one is, uh, that one I'm sure is, is, is down the road or whatever. But in any case, we have a lot of titles that we enjoy, but some weeks we have some titles that we don't enjoy. You know what it's time for? It's time for... The Biggest Thinker. Oh, that's nasty. So, which title made your stink list today, Josh? On my stink list today, I had no choice but to put Joker. Uh, I feel As like... did I. We got two issues back-to-back where really nothing happens, and that's just not good. Mm. Uh almost really two filler issues the last one was definitely a filler issue and this one just had a tiny bit more meat in it that's a bummer man joker books should do better than that i agree i agree yeah it was really just kind of a middle of the road issue it it just didn't have a ton to really grab me like the past four have and and it sucks but you know my hope is that this is just the one time, and I mean, I guess technically the last issue was like that, but my hope is the main story, at least. This is just the one time, and we can kind of get back on track with the next issue. Uh, but I hope so. With our biggest stinker and top three done, are there any particular titles from this week that you would like to elect to the dump list? None from this week. We do have Wonder Woman that's still on the Rorschach and Future State Gotham. However, I will say, while it definitely is still on the dump list, Wonder Woman was just a little bit better than we've had in the last few issues. Mm -hmm. So maybe that'll be a positive. Maybe we'll see it come back up. But uh, as of right now, that's what I've got on the dump list. How about you? I don't have any issues in particular that I want to put in the dump list, even though, you know, Joker was my biggest stinker. I don't want to get rid of it anytime soon, but I did have a chance to read Wonder Woman and Future State Gotham. Wonder Woman, I agree, was definitely a little bit of an improvement. 
uh, and it was kind of nice to see some some stuff in there. But Future State Gotham, I don't know. I'm I'm perfectly happy keeping that one, keeping that one on the dump list. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where it's going to stay. They would have to take something incredibly drastic to get it off of there. Oh yeah. And that's the show. We hope you had fun. We definitely did. Come back next week for more DC Comics Talk when we will be reviewing Flash number 773, Nightwing number 83, Catwoman 34, Superman and the Authority number 2, Blue and Gold number 2, Shazam number 2, and Batman Secret Files Clown Hunter number 1. With that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other. And don't be a robot.